OTB GAA Burns was on another planet this year boys like in the first half of the All-Ireland final this year Owen Murphy put a puck out down Burns puts the claw up and puts it back over the bar like subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo. Yes indeed Welcome along to Tuesday morning's OTBM With myself Shane Hannan And uh, OTBM Brought to you with Gillette In association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate At Movember.com The esteemed broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward Good morning Johnny Good morning, Shane. I had to remember, was it Tuesday or Monday there? Yeah. The bank holiday throws you, doesn't it? It does. And uh, it was one of those things last night where I was sitting at home and, and um, Halloween, piss and rain, clocks had gone back, so it was darker in the evenings and you're thinking, this is... I, I, we get comments on YouTube sometimes where, oh, would the lads ever stop using the word grim? I'm going to use it one, one more time, so apologies. It was a grim... Monday evening last night, wasn't it? You know the you know the poem Another September by uh, Thomas Kinsler where he speaks about... Um, this kind of the the I guess the autumn coming in and uh, he he speaks in mirror in February about getting old. There's something about November though that November's on the way. And last night coming across to Shannon from Galway after being at the Galway night match had a had a night in Galway and then coming across to Shannon biblical rain. Uh, it was tough. And then last night um, I'd ordered a pizza. Typical, you know, given up bank on holiday Monday, bank, yeah. bank holiday Monday, given up on. Uh, on um, making food or whatever so I ordered the pizza well sluggish enough to arrive eventually got a knock on the door anyway so I was just about to make my excuse for like oh I'm sorry I don't have any change to, to drop you a tip and there was a young lad looking for trick or treat so was, that, that completely threw me so I had to stumble around to find him a magnum um, which, a magnum yeah the best I could come up with Johnny yeah. you can't be given a trick or treat or a magnum like nothing else the whole purpose is take it home See what you've got. Take out the refresher sweets and, and everything else in the bars and the crisps. It did remind me of... He'd come home with a melted magnum in his hands. It did remind me when during Lent I, uh, I went off chocolate when I was a kid. like, And I decided that I'd like, hoard all the chocolate I would have bought if I'd actually eaten it. So I had a big box, like a letter box, and there was a, a hole to put in the chocolate in. Yeah. Um, there's an analogy from this as well, if you, if you bear with me. So okay. by the end, I had 117 bars of chocolate, right? Now... Clearly, I didn't eat three bars of cho- three bars of chocolate on average a day, but I, I got into the idea of I, I I love the idea of adding to my collection, adding to my collection. By the end, I had no interest in eating the chocolate whatsoever. I just wanted to have more, and it's kind of like if you have a lot of money, spend it. Like you know, don't 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 be like that idea of I just want more money in my bank account. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the chocolate was going mouldy at that stage. Whatever wrote the Magnum. Well, the Magnum was definitely gone mouldy. Would you have been a, been a trick-or-treater as a kid in Galway? No, we used to go out for the wren. Do you remember, like, the... Dad used to tell me about the... What's, what was the wren? The wren, the, the king of all birds. Um, you, you might know the song, The Beautiful, The Boys yeah. of Baroness Ryder from Kerry the Went Hunting for the Wren. Is a Galway thing or a Western thing? I'd say, it's, I'd say it's more of a rural Ireland thing, maybe, but that was on... Um, I'm trying to think now what day of the year. It was St. Bridget's Day, and you'd go out and... Um, same thing, you'd kind of... Go out hunting for the ram. I don't think we actually hunted for the ram. We just tried to get money off our neighbours, and some of them were reciprocative. So. You'd be looking for money. You see yeah, the industrious out there in the West as well, you see. Mm. We, 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 we would have done trick-or-treating them properly looking for... Now, if someone handed me a magnum melting in my hands, I'd have probably told them where to go. Well, it wasn't melting at that stage, but it is funny when you, when you look at Instagram and now you see, like, half of your feed is, like, cross from New York's to parts of Ireland just kids uh, dressed up for Halloween and it is quite cool actually I think it becomes like a keeping up with the Joneses for a lot of families where they're like well if 
if we're going to put it on Instagram, we might as well look quite well. And some of them are very impressive outfits. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how was your weekend? It was good. It was a good weekend. We had a. Now uh, I, I almost can't remember what I did. Now I know my sister was playing the Cork Jazz Festival. Rachel was uh, was singing down there, so uh, she had a she had a busy one. I was out on Saturday night. I went out with a, with a few friends. There was a, a, a like a a little kind of storytelling. Trad session in uh, in Sleeve Bay in Ocotalan and I went to on, on Friday on Saturday night and that was that was fantastic. It was a kind of a an old school um, not horror but uh, ghost stories and uh, poems and spoken word and dancing. It was very very traditional and very Irish and true to the spirit of Patrick Cavanagh. Exactly, yeah. We yeah. didn't have the weekend that JD had though. No, JD was a Charlton Four Ipswich Four folks. If you, I, I'll get I'll mention it quickly because. What a game at the Valley at the weekend. If you haven't seen it, go to Charlton Athletic's Twitter page. They've posted the 10 minutes of injury time. So it's a spoiler, but 2-all going into injury time. Charlton have been 2-0 two, two down, came back to 2-all. Then Ipswich scored to make it 3-2. They scored again to make it 4-2, I think, after 94 minutes. There were six minutes out of time, bear in mind. 96th minute, um, Charlton, the hosts, pull one back. And then 99th minute, because obviously minutes were added because of all the goals being scored in injury time, they uh, they get a, a header, just loops over the keeper, the Ipswich keeper, and 4-4. Four, four, four goals in injury time, so John Duggan picked a, a great match to be at. Uh, you've scared me as well, Johnny, in, in reminding me that it's November. Um, it is the first I'd November. I've completely today. forgotten, so yeah, happy happy November to all of yeah. you out there. Listen, we've, we've so much to get into on the show this, uh, this morning, 7.35. Now, in just a moment, we'll get into the performance rankings. Plenty to dive into from across the weekend. Uh, we'll get into Adam Pope then, around 7.55 as well. He's the BBC Radio Leeds journalist and what a win it was for them at Anfield on uh, Saturday evening at uh, 10 past 8 then. Gareth Roberts will give us the Liverpool side of that story and uh, a very disappointing result for them given that they'd lost to Forest the week before. Two very poor results in the league back-to-back after the Man City uh, win before that. 8.30, the sports pages with Cal Milanian will of course pay tribute to Seamus Power. What a weekend he had uh, winning his second PGA Tour event of the weekend uh, in Bermuda. Uh, lo- lovely weather it looked like as well. A bit windy on that last day as well but Cal will, will, uh, will bring us all the stories from this morning. 8.50, Alan Quinlan will uh, dive back on all of the URC action involving the Irish provinces including a disappointing one point defeat uh, for Munster at the weekend albeit they were missing a lot of players and we'll of course look ahead to the first test this weekend of the November Internationals for Andy Farrell's Irish side against South Africa at the Viva Stadium so that's coming up with Quinny and then at 10 past 9 Luke O'Loughlin the uh, Westmead senior footballer who helped Westmead win a Talton Cup uh, and he's also after winning uh, with the Downs with his club the uh, first Westmead senior club title in I think it was 17 years he's got a remarkable personal story as well of uh, personal struggles and, and addiction um, the drugs and alcohol so a uh, remarkable story and Luke is uh, going to be with us and uh, then we'll, we'll look back on, on the crappy quiz from half past nine from Friday Carnage as always uh, but first on this uh, Tuesday morning by call the Tuesday morning we will look back on a few of the moments from the weekend with the performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances, which just lacked that intensity. Yes, indeed. We're going to start on these performance rankings with, in the red, Johnny Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I suppose fans might be tuning in and thinking this is very harsh we, were, we won the game we beat Bournemouth but uh, look 2-0 down a uh, bit of a sorry display came back to win 3-2 um, I, 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 you'd wonder with, with Tottenham because if you look at the, the, the Premier League standings Johnny you kind of have to be fairly positive for them because they're not doing that badly but 
performance-wise, you'd be, you'd be fairly concerned. Hyungmin's son hasn't been the Hyungmin's son that we've come to know and love. He's had some cracking games for Spurs this season, but it's consistency, I think. Um, Matt Doherty's got a little bit of opportunities on the right, the right back as well for Spurs, but they're having troubles. I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel as a Spurs fan because you got the win at the weekend, and yet scraping over the line is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, the the I think the scrap for the top. Um like third and fourth down anyway in the Premier League is very very hard to call because Manchester United have been solid and in general the rest just aren't um, they're not uh, developing much consistency or they don't look very uh, you know we could talk about Chelsea as well but they don't look uh, like they're, they're they're that cohesive and Spurs um, have been poor really since since give or take the Man United game you mentioned Son like he got those goals against Leicester and that looked like it might turn his season I don't know what the story with him is he just look he looks a shadow of the player that he was and uh, you know if they if, if Spurs are playing a counter-attacking game but he's not really on his game and Lacane's not that fast like so they they're probably um, caught between a rock and a hard place a bit at the moment and uh, yeah as you say they won and their point tally is not bad but they're not really playing well I don't know about Doherty as well I don't know will he be able to get um, a regular place in that team I think he's I'm not actually sure he's at the level to be a really good wing back in the Premier League um, pace wise or in general at this stage maybe I'm wrong what I like about Doherty is he's and it's to his detriment sometimes as well he's so honest in his post-match interviews Mm. like he's one of these these players that doesn't hold back He, he says it as it is if he thinks he's played shite he'll say that um, and he has been known to say that as well. So I think it, I think it's endeared him to a lot of Spurs fans in that he's totally honest up front. When he's played bad, he'll say it. But um, I don't know. I, I'm starting to think that Antonio Conte does like him in in, in recent weeks. Mm. I know Emerson was kind of out suspended for a bit, and that gave him a, a chance in the team. But there are areas ac- across that pitch for Tottenham where you're like they're just lacking. They're just not good enough. Um, they can't get much control in games either. That's that's my kind of reading mm. of them. And uh, it'll be interesting if they're. I think they're playing Liverpool shortly. It'll be interesting to see how that goes because this Sunday that's going to be a that's a huge game. Yeah, I don't know if we have if we have Liverpool in on the rankings there if they're listed or not. Um, but um, they're there just they're, in the red with with Tottenham. Okay, so we can we can probably segue into that. I mean. <laughs> If you read, if you read, like, if you looked at the, uh, the the recent results, Liverpool were expected to beat Leeds, but Leeds, Leeds is uh, their XP and their XG. If you believe in that stuff, they're actually playing better. And in fairness, to Jesse March, he was saying like we we should be getting more points than we're getting. Um, I don't know with Liverpool at the moment. Um, Phil Egan was just pointing out as we were coming out here the, the 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 striking thing for him was that Jesse March was imploring his players to get the ball as quickly as possible at one all <laughs> yeah, rather than back like, into play. Leeds hadn't won at Anfield what in twenty years, twenty one years, yeah. and Van Dijk hadn't lost a home uh, league game. But I mean, it, I've watched a lot of Liverpool this season, and they're 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 just not there at all. There's so many issues there. The goals that they gave away again, um, and Klopp. Is this going to be like the end? Is this the beginning of the end? Is this the, the Dortmund days all over again where it just runs out of steam towards the end? Which will be sad because it looks now like that's all Liverpool um, will have to show in terms of winning the leagues was that league they won during the pandemic, which I think just wasn't quite the same as much as they won the league. It would be lovely for them to win it in front of their fans and they're miles off at the moment and his reflection that I think, Shane, that they're in a battle for the top four is true and they just they just look tired. They just look like their legs aren't there. Yeah, and, and the thing that would worry me if you're a Liverpool fan is is there's this constant talk of the World Cup being a reset button. The, the words reset button have been used so often this Liverpool team. They're like, oh, look, let's get to the World Cup. We'll reset. But there's no guarantee that after the World Cup 
things will improve. No. Um, and, and you look at how this, the thing that worries me most, and I'll, we'll of course bring this up with Gareth Roberts later on, is how slowly Liverpool are starting games. Like So 12 Premier League games this season, they've conceded first in eight of them. Amazing. And of those and of those eight, four of them I think were within the first 16 minutes they'd conceded goals. So like, another, that's not a good sign. Another staff, which uh, I was making this up on Saturday night, if you take out the Bournemouth game, Liverpool have a negative goal difference this season. Yeah. Yeah. So that's incredible, really. Like the, the Bournemouth game, Bournemouth, funnily enough, did press the reset button after that and went on a great run. Um, Liverpool, you just wonder, you know, Klopp, Klopp, I think he spoke for like a, at length in one answer after the game, almost like a kind of a monologue in terms of like. He looks pissed off, doesn't he? In, in yeah, match press he spoke to Jan Agafjortoft after, I think it was possibly the Arsenal game and his body language he just looks tired himself almost um, quite snappy at, at reporters as yeah. well nothing wrong with that of course when you've lost a game and you're not feeling bothered the pressure. talking um, yeah. but I, I, I think as well I, I feel that the demands on players you know you, you, you read the paper today and you're like Jesus there are more games tonight again like it's just it's constant constant, constant. Liverpool as, mu- as much as they can take it a little bit easier against Napoli tonight they're banging into action again and to me they're just, they're just tired they look Tired. Couple of comments coming in. Johnny Danny Mac one says losing one hour of daylight should be in the red. I think we'll all agree. Um, yeah, absolute. it seemed like, it seemed a good idea yesterday morning, but you know yeah. when you wake up, when you get the extra hour in uh, in bed as well, you're like, oh, this is great. But then then you're a bit of a mad one, isn't it? It's bizarre. Changing the clocks around, like it's 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 almost yeah. like you know taking the roads in or something. Like who would be thinking of this? Uh, we're getting uh, some comment in from from Bob Dwyer as well, our resident Spurs fan here on the OTBAM comments. Tottenham in the red. Away from home, two down, he came back to win 3-2. 19 corners, dominated possession and attempts on goal. Good second half, third in the league, top of our Champions League group. Liverpool ninth in the league, lost to Leeds at home this weekend and higher than them in the performance rankings. If that was United coming back from 2-0 down against Bournemouth away from home, you'd be lauding it as great character. I think there is an an argument that maybe, look, tonight will will dictate a lot of what we're thinking of Spurs at the minute because if, if they can't emerge from this Champions League group, and Marseille, like I was just looking, even the Marseille team. There's four, four uh, players with Arsenal links. Yeah. This. So they, they they were just like you've got Alexis Sanchez, Sead Kolasinac, Matteo Guendouzi, and uh, Nuno Tavares, who's actually on loan this season from the Emirates. So uh, a lot of Marseille players there who would absolutely love nothing more than to knock Spurs out of the Champions League group. Great atmosphere there tonight and all that. So yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. They can't. They've no fans, and they've and Conte has no got his touchline ban. So he's yeah, no fan, of course, yeah. He's not going to be playing. He's not going to be there either. So, uh, look, Bob, I understand. Uh, it is, and it is. Look, even Shane C says harsh on Spurs lads. This time last year, they were seventh and third in the Europa Conference League group. If they were managed by someone other than Conte, people would think they are overachieving. Um, yeah, I, I, I would still. You'd still have to have concerns if you're a Spurs fan. It's not. It's not all there. Like the, the win at the weekend. Look, away from home, got the three points. Fair enough. Uh, it's the manner of the performances. I think mm. maybe harsh. Maybe we could have put Liverpool. We could have put Chelsea in as well, to be fair. Yeah, look, Um, I'll apologise. I'll take the hit for that. Uh, Spurs should have been ahead of Liverpool there, I would say. Potter was a little bit harshly treated, I thought. Potter? That's what it is, yeah. Yeah, with the booze from the the Brighton fans. Mm. Bizarre, bizarre. Um, Let's get to the the Amber Johnny. So, uh, Munster. Um, Munster, yeah. Look, they lost to Ulster, but... Um, I think there are definitely pros and we'll talk to Alan Quinlan um, they couldn't deal with uh, Ulster's mall at all in the first half it was just time and time again um, I actually when Quinny was on last week I was asking what sort of uh, response would the Munster fans give in the sense that they are they seem to be in transition for quite some time here but you know they've made a poorish start to the season 
Jeez, it seemed to be an unbelievable atmosphere in the ground. Like when Munster scored the try in the second half, the place gone absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, then missed the conversion to potentially win the game. Um, and in fairness, like Munster are the kind of stretched the limit a bit. Ulster came in with with a far from ideal prep as well, but ultimately they did win the game. And um, that's a question mark for Munster. But the very very controversial yellow card incident as well. I like to talk about Quinny. I thought um, that's the sort of stuff we need to stamp out of the game. But another defeat for Munster. Um, great weekend for the Irish. Provinces apart from Munster, Connacht were brilliant and um, played some lovely rugby and got a deserved win after falling. I think they were twelve nil down. Um, but Munster, yeah, it was a defeat. Albeit, um, I think they'll, they'll definitely take some green shoots from it as well. Just looking like the, 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 the games Munster have lost. So when they lost to Cardiff Dragons and Connacht, they were fairly brutal. Um, the Leinster and Ulster defeats, you could maybe look at them and say, well. There were some some good good positive signs from those defeats, albeit they lost the games. Like missing over twenty players for that Ulster game at the weekend as well. Yeah, I think Roundtree as well afterwards. In fairness, was definitely extolling the positives of it. They made some really poor, really sloppy handling errors in the first half and could have won the game. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see when they play Leinster where they're at at that stage, which is I think that's about four games time. Like yeah, and that's the thing. You look at their their remaining fixtures. Um, I, I just don't know. They've got. They they have to get these URC playoffs next year's champion Champions Cup if they can. Eleven games left. Look at the fixtures they've left. They still have to play Leinster again. They've travelled Belfast um, and a double header in South Africa. So that's four very difficult games out of those eleven. The other seven uh, certainly aren't, aren't on a par in terms of difficulty. So they could they could look at targeting those seven games and get maybe five, six, seven wins in them. Um, but yeah, it just it's it's been one of those seasons where Munster fans must be just tearing their hair out and thinking. It's tough because it's probably a period of transition, uh, and look, it's Graham Roundtree trying to stamp his authority on the team as well. But sometimes it takes that in any sport; it takes a transition period where you have to accept that results aren't going to be all there. But but slowly but surely, the results will get better. You'd imagine. I think as well, like uh, you know, Leinster do this time time again. But I think the the necessity of having to bring in so many second string players is probably going to be a good thing for them um, yeah. in some respects longer term give them game time and uh, you know see see what they're about and I, I think some of their some monsters play from uh, in the second half was very very good and uh, I'm sure Quinny will have some positives from it as well but uh, yeah it was a it was a really good game actually to watch a shifty lad says think Johnny should be in the red with those rankings um, I'll take the blame for it as well you can throw us both in it I, 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 I Spurs wasn't really my um, my thing but uh, yeah I, 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 I suppose Liverpool we're blaming the producers are we? yeah we're blaming yeah, the okay. producers we're going right. to throw them under the bus here <laughs> um, but uh, you could have picked a few yeah um, uh, someone comments Manx as if we have Liverpool on the on the bottom, and that that comment comes in from someone with the YouTube handle "Feed the Bank Rats," so <laughs> that'll teach you what they think about uh, Manchester United, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, but I think we can all agree. But look, we'll take Tottenham off the bottom, and we'll put the losing the hour of daylight onto the bottom. And I, think, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that one. And yeah, we'll put Tottenham and Liverpool next to each other. It's 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 going to sit set in now. Yeah, tonight when you're geez, it's dark yeah. at like half five. Or whatever. Just one of those when you see the traffic and the lights coming on and. Just not, it's not good. But, it's um, definitely harder to get up in the morning. Like when I'm OTBAM, like I do this all year round. And when you get up in the summer and you know you're oh, comfortably beaten by the dawn, it's, it's beautiful to get up. This morning it's much much harder. You're sighting down the canal. It's much colder. Lights are on, and in some respects, there's nobody home. There is, yeah, and you're driving or you're driving up the M1 like I was mm. um, with the with the other rat racers trying to get into the big city. Um, let's move on to the green, Johnny. Uh, I don't know what shade of green. I, I guess you can call it the yellowy green, just 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 before the the, the top one. Uh, but Shelburne uh, in the Women's National League back to back 
titles for them after after thrashing Wexford. Yeah, it's funny just reading this this morning. There's a real. Um, it's almost like shades of the the loss, the brain drain of players to uh, Australia in the in the Gaelic football side yeah. of things. Where um, I I just don't know the answer to this. Shells win back to back titles, but like. Speaking to uh, our producer Emma coming out, who's totally immersed in this, she says, "What they've lost seven players in the last twelve months, July to July, give or take." Uh, likes Chloe Mustaki, um, and this is going to happen again. Um, in the sense of so, Saoirse Lunan, Sue and Mustaki all lost, and in the sense of you, you celebrate these victories, and then you wonder, well, where are these players going to end up next season? Are very good players, and also then the. In, in one sense that might be good for the other clubs that they can kind of catch up but I just don't know what the answer is to monetise it for the clubs because like League of Ireland clubs are extremely well run at the moment compared to the basket cases that they've long been but um, and the, you know the coverage that the women's game is getting now is is um, almost like as a League of Ireland uh, fan you're almost envious of it from the men's game because League of Ireland men's coverage um, leaves a lot to be desired at times um, but it's getting great coverage um, crowds are on the increase standards are up um, there's a brilliant end to the season with three teams in with a goal Shelburne deserving to win but I guess Shane the problem is um, Shell's problem started this morning I guess when they're now like well how do we try to lock these players down um, for next season the likes of Abby Larkin who's very young and promising as brilliant well player. brilliant player um, she could become a post regard for Irish football but she'd probably again end up going to England because that's just the reality of it Yeah, I and don't know what the answer is I know and even when you, when you look at the, the even the names on the, goal, on the scoring sheet so they beat Shelburne beat uh, Wexford Youth 4-0 away from home in Ferry Carrick Jesse Stapleton Alex Cavanagh Megan Smith-Lynch Abby Larkin you are wondering and we, like we spoke myself and Jerry spoke to Joey Malone the assistant manager of Shells on the show last League, League of Ireland legend of course on the show last week and, and he brought up this issue and, and a lot of people responded to it the the idea that at least League of Ireland clubs can get you know in the, in the men's game can get the competition financial competition that numbs losing players certainly to some degree um, in the women's game they just they just don't have that because they're not at that level of professionalism where they can get the money to, to compensate them so it's it's I don't know if they can turn it into even a sort of a nominal uh, professional system such that at least you do get that compensation and like yeah. with Galway United taking over the 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 women's aspect of the game in the city now Shamrock Rovers coming in um I think it's it's a, it's a really exciting time as well to uh, you know to be involved in the League of Ireland in general and I think for young girls who are aspiring to play now there's there's an outlet there that just wasn't there anymore and there's proper national rac- recognition um, it's, so it's a wonderful time but these problems aren't easily solved like I, I have sympathy for shells I don't really know what they're going to do here yeah. they're trying to get their house in order after you know um, Shells not that long ago were, were hemorrhaging money as a club and they're trying to get their house in order they're trying to build links with college they're trying to build links in the community um, and they, they, they're they thriving as a club but it's not it's you know cup final to come up for the men as well mm. um, and obviously the cup final this weekend is going to be interesting as well Atlone might try to get compensation um, but it's it's a difficult one Shane yeah and that's the look that's the downside of it of course aside from that congrats to Shelburne on winning the women's, women's National League for the second year in a row and as you said Johnny the way in which they did it and and three teams going into the last game and Athlone Town as well doing their side of the bargain they, they won 2-1 they needed to beat Bowes of course and hope there was a draw in that Shells Wexford game uh, Scarlett Heron as well I should give a shout out to because she's a young young girl who's from Monaghan uh, daughter of Colm and Audrey Heron there in Monaghan Town and um, she scored the winner for Athlone Town in that game and uh, she's been you know kind of 
playing a lot of games in the Irish underage squads at the minute and under 17 under 19 level I think uh, so she's a top talent so uh, well done Shelburne and uh, hard luck to Wexford and Athlone of course you were just while well, we're on the issue of League of Ireland uh, I know you were at the Galway match for example against Longford the weekend but also um, unbelievably emotional scenes when Shamrock Rovers got their got their moment to lift the title and, and Stephen Bradley's young son um Lump in the throat stuff, Johnny. When when you saw the, for anyone who is unaware of the story, that illness, leukemia that uh, his son Josh has gone through, and to see him there lifting the trophy with the Shamrock Rovers players, um, meant a lot to, to the club, and, and clearly meant a lot to Stephen and his family. Yeah, like obviously Rovers could be uh, top of the list here. They actually won the league, um, I think, since our last performance rankings, which was last Monday. But obviously, it almost does feel like a while ago now. Um, it's over a week since they were officially crowned uh, champions. Um, but since then, to be fair, they performed very well against Gaines Thursday. You know, I've been critical of them in the in the Conference League, but in fairness, I think they're, they're they just found. They've been a little bit stretched by the roster of games and um, injuries and losing the likes of Danny Mandroyo and so on and so forth. But they were very good. They nearly they could have won on Thursday night and they got a very spirited draw and played your garden Thursday. And I think they might give a good account of themselves despite the problems on the road. It was a fake complete in terms of the Derry City game uh, Sunday. Unfortunately, neither had anything uh, to play for in terms of winning the title. Derry still have to just have to confirm second place. Mm. But. Um, Rovers particularly got the job done but I don't know I mean like he's this lovely story Stephen Bradley about Pico Lopez giving his his jersey to young uh, Josh and uh, wearing it as if like a kind of like a Halloween costume one of these like onesies type things Massive you can imagine yeah, smiling yeah. Um, that's what it's all about Rovers won the league partly because of the body of characters in that dress room and two of them who were um, I think both kind of were one side each each of Josh as he came out to you know great reception in Tala were Pico Lopez and Ronan Finn and I from my dealings with them and all I know about them they're exactly what you'd want in a dressing room Ronan Finn's had an amazing career Absolutely. and he was very good at his peak in European combat as well for a really dynamic member of that Shamrock Rovers team uh, I didn't talk to him rather and then changed himself to kind of become a right back for Rovers and, and played well into his mid-30s in that position and still does and Pico who I think they've badly missed in Europe really badly missed and have been so much better since he's come back in and the t- the image of him getting the crowds going to uh, give Josh that big cheer and Josh then mimicking his dad's kind of celebration in front of us it's um it's amazing to see, and I, I have so much respect for Stephen Bradley. I have no idea what he's going through, um, and he's handled himself amazingly well. And hope you enjoy the weekend, Josh. Yeah, truly lovely moment, and what sport is all about. Um, just to touch, finally, uh, we bang out of time, but uh, the final one in green, we have Katie Taylor, of course, after that uh, brilliant win against uh, Karen Carabajal on Saturday night. So uh, I guess the big the big story afterwards, she was dominant, Katie, in this, in this fight. I was watching it in the pub, and... Um, Talk now, of course, of Amanda Serrano re- um, rematch in Croke Park. Eddie Hearn really pushing forward this Croke Park, as was Katie afterwards. Uh, talk in the papers as well that Chantel Cameron could be a opponent. She play, or she fights Jessica McCaskill on Saturday night coming in Abu Dhabi uh, to become the undisputed light welterweight champion. That would give Katie the chance to become a, a two-weight champion in Croke Park. So if Serrano doesn't work out, maybe Chantel Cameron works out. But Johnny, to see briefly Katie in Croke Park fighting would be... Probably the pinnacle of her career as well. Ah, yeah, and I presume a lot of people in the pub were watching it, which as well. Like, um, I people scrambling to people were texting me to find out how to watch it, and uh, there was a lot of interest in it. And like, at a, speaking of Ronan Finn, like Katie's longevity, it's it's amazing, really. And 
Uh, maybe I don't know would you say there would be a swan song feel to it where she to have that big uh, fight in Crow Park but it would definitely be fitting in terms of her career and the national interest in her as well absolutely uh, listen we've got two of the comments just to finish on uh, comments from Patrick BQ well we are starting summer here in Perth pretty soon beautiful spring day 27 degrees life is good lads jealous of the fact that it's not uh, pitch black and I would text in from my mum Johnny on WhatsApp lads it's a good day when you can get up no moan November on that note your, your mother is a Monaghan lady, is she? She's a Monaghan lady, yeah. yeah but I yeah. was just thinking why your family is so sound and successful. It's that, <laughs> it's that hybrid. It's the Galway-Monaghan link because it's the Galway stuff that comes out That's at it, times Johnny. as well. You're too kind. Yeah. On that lovely note, performance rankings, Hannon family at the very top of the list in green. Uh, that is your performance <laughs> rankings this Tuesday morning. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. 7.58am on this bank are we calling it a bank holiday Tuesday morning let's call it a bank holiday Tuesday morning and it's a very good Tuesday morning for the BBC Leeds journalist and uh, football uh, reporter as well Adam Pope Adam very good morning to you good morning guys uh, you must not have come down I was listening to yourselves on the on the podcast this morning on my, on my drive into work and um, the three of you were absolutely buzzing and rightly so what a performance <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's the uh, Don't Go To Bed Just Yet podcast <laughs> with Simon Ricks of the Kaiser Chiefs. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, two of us on the podcast were very fortunate to be there at Anfield covering the game. And uh, let's let's face it, guys, everybody expected Leeds to go to Anfield on Saturday night and probably take a bit of a beating. And uh, that's just the way of things at the moment, the way it's gone with Jesse Marsh for a little while, eight games without a win and then they go and put in a performance like that and you have to say despite the keeper making nine saves <laughs> they deserve to win the game and they took it to Liverpool where they could and, and got their breaks and, and won it and it was an extraordinary night and one that you've got to make the most of because they just don't come around much do they? They don't and like you look at someone like Crescencio Somerville uh, you know celebrating turning 21 I guess with that with that winner as well um, what a moment and, and I guess the hope now he, he's got some criticism he hasn't uh, been, been the finished article just yet but but I mean, I guess the hope now is that this isn't a you know a Federico Makeda for Man United against Villa moment where he scores the the famous goal and then kind of fades into the into the the uh, the darkness. But uh, it could be the start of something special for him if he can keep doing uh, things like that. That's a really decent comparison that you made there to Makeda. Yeah, remember that extraordinary goal he scored, didn't he, on his on his debut? The thing with Somerville, he's been on the scene at Leeds for a little while now. Yep, he turned twenty one within a few hours of scoring that goal, as you say, but he arrived. Back in 2020 and, you know, came from Feyenoord. He'd been through the youth system there. He went on loan to Den Haag. And then, you know, he's been in the in the Dutch international youth system as well. He's absolutely shone in the, what we now call the 21s. Because Leeds got relegated from the top division of that, um, having been promoted to it just two seasons ago. So he's now playing in a sort of lower division of that and is, and is way, way too good for it. He was too good for it last year when they were in the higher division against the, the better academies, you know, Chelsea and Liverpool and everybody else. The thing is, could he do it at senior level? And we haven't seen too much to suggest that he could cope with it. He's missed a couple of chances lately, particularly against Arsenal, one against Leicester. He's been given his, his head, if you like, by, by the manager, by the head coach, Jesse Marsh, because He's been telling us, not least for putting the number 10 on his back, that um, that this guy's the next one off the rank as far as they're concerned. They want to give him a go. They want to give him minutes. And you have to say, having had a decent game against Liverpool, he's crowned it off with, with a really, really good goal and a, and a memory that will live forever. So maybe that's the big turning point for him. But you have to think, if Luis Sinistero was fit, guys, would would he have started the game? Mm-hmm. Yes, he would have. And then maybe Chrysensi would have been coming off the bench. Big question now is: Does he deserve to keep his place for the game against Bournemouth on at the weekend? 
Did, did you buy into what Marsh is saying, Adam, that um, Leeds were genuinely a good bit better than what the results would suggest over the last sort of seven or eight games because, um, you know, it, it did seem that way, but you, you can only, I guess you can only get away with that, so you can't get away with that every week, and if Liverpool had hockeyed them as, as, you, as you say, people would have suggested that that was likely to happen, um, how is Jesse Marsh feeling this morning and how much pressure would have been on him? Yeah, I think if they had had a terrible performance and, and a heavy result, and don't forget they lost their six in the Bielsa last year, um, then I think it would have been very hard for the board to have kept supporting him for mm. these next few games. He's been speaking like a man who feels that he's going to be in charge certainly to the World Cup. This is prior to the Liverpool game. So there's no doubt that the board have been trying to give him every bit of weaponry, every bit of every tool to make sure that he can make this a success. And that's included bringing in psychologists, extra staff at the moment, what have you. They don't want to row back on a big decision to have got rid of Bielsa and brought Jesse Marsh in. So they're going to try and make it work. And thankfully for Jesse, it went the right way for him. But there's there's no doubt if, for example, they went to beat Bournemouth at the weekend, then the knives would be out again, to be quite honest, because it got so toxic ahead of the, the Liverpool game in terms of the performance away at Leicester, where the fans turned on the head coach. Mm. And then against Fulham, where they turned on all right, the head coach, but particularly on the board as well. It just shows you that within the space of one performance and a couple of results, that it can it can get really nasty. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got to, got to be honest. When they were losing to Fulham with with seven minutes to go, three um, one, you wondered if that was seven minutes left of his career mm. um, this would be amazing if he could turn this around to get the crowd back inside for the crowd to sort of you know not berate the board anymore for not making the signs they should have done and to turn this around and make it you know a relatively successful season would be some some going and it would have shown some nerve as well by the board and by him as well in what in what he's doing yeah but like so what, what's the what's the transformation been like because it must almost be like a, a change in your complete political system in a country to go from Bielsa to anything really <laughs> That's yeah, it's interesting. Look, th- this was this was sold as a sort of evolution and a progression, wasn't it, from the Bielsa, uh, from the Bielsa days? It's been really hard trying to see. Look, firstly, in, in those first twelve games, when they when Jesse came in ahead of schedule, Bielsa was going to go in the summer. We knew that there was going to be a part in the ways. He had to sort of play scramble football. Mm. So it was difficult to sort of assess what style was being implemented because it did change quite a bit over the over the next sort of 12 games or so and, and thankfully he managed to keep them up. Now we're seeing his players come in and, and and this, if you want to call it a Red Bull style, it's a lot more narrow, it's a lot more focused into the penalty spot. A bit like Bielsa in some ways, they try and retain, regain possession very, very quickly and, and pressurise teams. That That's very similar. Um but the transition, nobody saw an improvement in terms of the way they played. It wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as attractive. And largely in the BLC, despite there being in every season, a long sort of spell where they weren't winning games and it all looked like it was going to fall apart. Everybody sort of believed in it because he had that body of evidence behind him that mostly this worked. Mostly it led to wins and mostly certainly led to attractive football. But it did lead to some severe beatings as well. Um, fans were divided as to whether... They wanted to sort of risk that and keep that going to the end of the season and they could go out having kept them in the division and they'd gone out in a blaze of glory, if you like, or they've tolerated them taking them down. They probably would have done because it was Bielsa. Jesse doesn't have that credit mm. in the bank with uh, with 
with the fans, because he hasn't got the body of evidence behind him. So it's much harder for him. Plus, there's been, let's face it, there's been from different quarters a lot of sort of anti-Americanism as well towards him too. So it's been a, it's been a really tough environment to work in, but maybe he's just starting to come through the other side. I, I, I was going to ask you about Patrick Bamford, actually, but can I call you on that? Because whether we like it or not, coming from this part of the world, there is an unconscious kind of... Um, Skepticism when anyone with an American accent speaks about football, and and that's just how it is. It, it is, and look, I sort of try to make this comparison that it's it's like a xenophobic thing almost. Bielsa got it, you know. When you remember the Spygate issue where the football league basically created a retrospective law to punish him for something that wasn't um, illegal yeah. uh, when he was spying or sent someone to watch training at Derby, an open training session. Um, I felt that a lot, of, and it's not just from fans, this comes from authorities as, as well. There was a lot directed towards him and, ah, this is what you get from people from South America. I thought it was really xenophobic and bordering on racist at times. And I think, I think Jesse suffered a bit of that even before he came. Some people will not tolerate having an American coach. And, uh, and that's wrong because, you know, he has got, um, some success behind him in MLS and obviously in, in Europe. Yeah, he's had his downtimes too. So you've got to give the guy a chance. The fact he kept the division meant he deserved his shot at it this this time around but there's still those that really aren't taken to it and those I have to say guys that were would have been not saying happy but were sort of wanting a bit of a heavy defeat the weekend to see if they if that would push the board over the edge to get rid of him obviously that's not prevailing view because people don't want to see the side lose but there certainly is that sort of antipathy towards him and what's going on at the moment the, obviously, the performance and the result against Liverpool is 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 ease the pressure, and maybe it's going to give them enough leeway to convert a few of those sort of back on side, if you like. But th- there is a body that just won't ever have it, and it, and and that's you're never going to change those people, are you guys? I mean, that could it could be any other coach if, other than the one that they want. If, if they're not happy with them, they don't like the sound of him, then 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 they're never going to be happy with him. Probably a bit like the Benitez issue at Liverpool for mm-hmm. different reasons. When he went to Everton, there were those that were never going to have him, even though that he was a really good coach. And it turned out horribly for him there. And hopefully it'll turn out better for Jesse in terms of his Leeds career. Johnny's brought him up there already, uh, Adam. But uh, Patrick Bamford, um, you'd have to be concerned. Uh, and, and look, it's a conversation that comes up every week, I'm sure, among Leeds fans as to uh, where the Patrick Bamford of old is. But uh, even, I know, you described the, the goal, I think, is the, the rusty <clears throat> toe-poke goal for, uh, for <laughs> Somerville. But just leading up to the goal was a, was a, a fairly rusty touch from, from Patrick Bamford, uh, albeit it led to, led to the goal, but surely he didn't mean it. Um, like, well, what's, <laughs> what's your take on, on Bamford at the minute? And, and is it a concern going forward? Like, is, is his place in the team threatened at all? It is a concern, guys, because he's been out with a series of injuries for the best part of the year. He hasn't scored since December last year. And now he's getting into the positions now that he's, if you like, fit or, or certainly fit to do sort of 90 minutes or, or, or near enough. He's getting into the positions, but his confidence has gone and his touch quite clearly is gone. He also missed a great chance just prior to the, the sort of inadvertent mm. setup for Somerville. Um, so that is a massive concern. You know, he's been stuck on 99 career league goals for, you know, the best part of, you know, 11 months now. Um, but he has had a lot of injuries. So do you, do you keep playing him and so that he plays back in the form of eventually something will go in? It, it, you're sort of in that scenario, but that's tough. It'd be easy if there was another striker, guys. Rodrigo has got six goals, but he hasn't particularly played very well. So it's chopping and changing who plays at nine for Leeds at the moment. The big thing, and I'm sure you've discussed this as well, is that why haven't they gone and got or successfully managed to land you know, another striker that mm. can get you 15 to 20 goals. And that has to happen in January because clearly they can't rely 
on, on Patrick just at the moment. I think it will come good for him. I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I do think it will come back round for him, but it's very, very difficult. And also the clamour to play Gellhart off the Joe Gellhart off the bench, that's been pretty rife to see. Well, give him a go. They have done it this season. What they did it at Brentford, it didn't turn out very well, not particularly because of Joe's performance, but because of a defensive collapse that, that Southern beaten 5-2. He's a real talent. He's a goal scorer and he's... But again, you know, I don't think at 20 he's going to get you 15 or 20 goals in a full season just yet. So they do need that striker in there. But there are signs that others are starting to sort of chip in a little bit. You know, you've got obviously Somerville coming in. Jack Harris will always get a few for you too. Sinistera, providing he stays fit, he's going to score a few goals. So, so the goals are starting to come from elsewhere. Just do with a few more. Brendan Aronson looks like he can threaten too. But in terms of that number nine and, and the people that can convert the chances that they are creating, they, seriously, they, they, they are lacking. They need more competition up there. And that's going to be a 30 million, 40 million pound signing, isn't it? You would have thought. And uh, they've missed out on De Ketelaer already uh, and, and Gakpo so far. And those sort of players, their prices are going to be even more if they were to go back in for them. And, and one of them's already gone anyway to Catalera to, to Italy. As you mentioned, uh, Adam, like the, the two big games in the league coming up uh, this side of the World Cup, you've got Bournemouth, as you said, this weekend at home, and then you have Tottenham away. Like we were just chatting, myself and Johnny, on on, on the show on Saturday about the uh, the Premier League sack race and the odds. This was, of course, before the the game on on, on Saturday evening, uh, and Jesse Marsh was was the hot favourite, eight to fifteen odds on to be the next manager sacked. And I'm just looking at the odds this morning. He's gone from 8-15 to 15 to 10-3. to 3. He's now the second favourite. So <clears throat> Ralph Hasenhutl has replaced him as the 9-4 as the favourite to be sacked. Uh, funnily enough, Jurgen Klopp has shot up the rankings to number three. But I mean... It, Isn't this a mad thing? Like, is Klopp under more pressure than Marsh now after well, a game? They can one game, like, you know? That, that, that's the point as well, Adam. Is that, is that, and you guys made it the podcast. The fact that after the match at the full-time whistle, and you would have seen it at the ground... The players, the Leeds players, have bought into this because they're running over to, to Jesse Marsh. There's hugs all round, there's smiles all round. So, if nothing else, the players have bought into him. Yeah, you can't say he's lost the dressing room. You can't. He's um, we've spoken to a lot of players. Obviously, publicly, they are going to say they're right behind it. But you can sort of, when you've been around it, like you know, you know, guys, you speak to managers, you speak to players all the time, on or off the record, and. You get a feeling whether they're they're meaning it, and generally you don't find anybody sort of dissenting um, or that there's any sort of little divisions in in the pack, if you like. And people are doing their best to get get behind this. The problem is if it continues in terms of losing streak, that's really hard for them to keep doing that and believing in it. However, I think you're right. The body language, the hug from Mark Rocker in particular, um, and I think Christensen came over as well. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was a proper sort of yeah. We've done it. We've believed in it. We've gone and come into a really difficult game, and and this system has seen us through. I think <laughs> what I would say on the on the other side of that, I don't know if if you saw the game, the way Leeds play though, it must be quite hard to believe in a system that allows quality, you know, wide players like Roberts and like Trent Alexander Arnold to have a lot of the ball in wide areas, so they can deliver almost at will. To have that confidence to. To, if you like, pack out your defence and make sure you don't make a mistake mm. against the likes of, you know, Salah or whatever in those wide areas, is, is, it's a real test of faith. And it's scary at times, but it came off at the weekend. When it works, it works. If they can do it for 90 minutes and, and maintain the energy, then then great. But um, it's a quite scary way of watching football at times against some of the, uh, particularly against sort of the, the, the top six sides. But, you know, so far, he's managed to sort of, you know, well, let's say struggle through this. This I tried to compare it. I think the other way it said this in the podcast as well. Like 
I just felt like Leeds as a club were like trying to pass a kidney stone last week, and either it comes out naturally and you carry on, or you have to remove it with surgery. And, and they were at that point last week. I really felt, and and let's face it, it might still be that case at, at the moment. But could it be much as we felt the Chelsea victory? Could this was a bit of a defining moment for Jesse Marsh? Could this be a real turning point in this season and for him and how people look at him if he can back it up on Saturday? Clock's going back for us. November kidney stones. Yeah, don't have them. <laughs> it's all linked. Uh, absolutely not. That's the one, I suppose, Adam. And a lot of Irish uh, Leeds fans tuning in this Saturday to see if it can be followed up on. Uh, great stuff, Adam. As always, thanks a million this morning. Oh, pleasure. Nice to speak to you guys. Christoph Adam Pope there, of course, from BBC. Covers Leeds uh, very, very closely. Um, great win for them at the weekend at Anfield. Right, a reminder, the Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week, we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you are in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. Available at Apple Green today. The Creasla Community Support Fund has been established by the Irish Red Cross in collaboration with On Post and Apple Green to provide rapid and long-term assistance to the Creasla community all donations to this fund will be dedicated to the support of those who have been bereaved, injured, made homeless or left without an income as a result of the tragedy in Donegal. In the days and weeks ahead, the Irish Red Cross will work with the community of Creasla to ensure that all contributions will be used effectively and as needed to assist those affected by this incident. Please donate to the Creasla Community Support Fund. Right up next, we'll get the Liverpool perspective on that defeat to Leeds with broadcaster Gareth Roberts. OTB AM. Yes, yeah, 17 minutes past eight on this Tuesday morning on OTBM with myself and Johnny Ward. OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. We're going to continue now the uh, reaction, I guess, to uh, action at Anfield on Saturday night. Liverpool 1, Leeds 2 with Gareth Roberts, the Liverpool-based football journalist. Good morning to you, Gareth. How are things? How are things? Morning. Uh, yeah, things have been better, fair to say. Um, not the most enjoyable time at the moment watching Liverpool, but, you know, there's a game tonight, it's the Champions League and all the rest of it, so if you're not up for that, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm sure, I was going to say, I said good morning to you, it probably wasn't a good morning, that probably wasn't the right word, but, uh, and, and we will get to the to the Napoli talk ahead, but uh, we do have to look back on that, on that, on that game on, on Saturday night, and I mean, uh, what, what, like, what was your take on it? It was, it was, it was disappointing. It's um, clearly something that's frustrating for Klopp that this keeps happening. That the the City game, everyone is saying, right, this is a a corner turned again, and the performance is, is much better. But to lose to Forest and then to lose to Leeds, um, arguably two of the the out of form teams in in the division, uh, quite worrying. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, there's no dressing it up. Is that uh, the the performances against City? Uh, both in the league and in the community shield are the two standout performances of the season. And then other than that, you know, OK, they absolutely thump Bournemouth, they absolutely thump Rangers. And, and you know, you take those, they're good results. Uh, you shouldn't be sniffy about it, but they're not They're not statements, are they? I think they're games that people expect Liverpool to win anyway. The, the, the City game should have been the statement. That was the, that was the result that got the place buzzing again. And people are like, right, okay, now we're going to see the real Liverpool. So to to go away from that, and okay, there's the Ajax uh, results sandwiched in between, which has secured knockout football in in the European Cup again. But to lose, as you say, to Forest and to Leeds, they're absolute bankers for Liverpool. They're, they're games Liverpool should be winning. And look, you know, without sounding disrespectful to, the, to both of those sides, because both of them work the socks off, it should take more than working your socks off 
to beat a Liverpool side with the amount of quality they've got. And I include, you know, that they've got injuries and things like that. The sides that they're putting out should still be good enough to beat those sides. And, you know, when I'm getting people I went to university with who support Nottingham Forest getting in touch with me and saying, <laughs> well, I didn't see that coming. Well, neither did I. Um, and then, you know, Leeds, after the Ajax result, I sort of thought, well, you know, we've learnt our lesson. We're always good at home. Saturday nights, under the lights, all of that type of thing. I expected it to be buzzing, good atmosphere. And I thought, you know, I thought that the team would feed off that. But obviously it was a horrendous start. Gave a daft goal away. And then never really sort of got it back from there, really. I mean, all, all this said, though, and it was, a, you know, it was a sucker punch at the end, but it was a sucker punch that you could see coming. You could feel it coming. Um, it wasn't quite right in the ground either with a, with a lot of the support shown, I didn't think. And you could see some of the, the players getting frustrated with that as well. But, you know, it goes both ways that, the, you know, the, the crowd's reaction comes from the players' performances. And that wasn't good enough either. So, you know, when that, when that goal comes, I think a lot of people were like, well, yeah, you know, we've got what we de- we deserved on the night, which was nothing. Um, so it is, of course, worrying because you know all of a sudden these these positive records that Liverpool have taken a long time to build up are starting to tumble. You know, the first defeat in front of fans since 2017. Uh, obviously, Virgil Van Dijk was was unbeaten in front of fans in the league um, at Anfield as well. So it is worrying when those things start to tumble away because you know my argument forever and more uh, when I've been writing when I've been talking is any success is always built up around what you do at home first and foremost what you do in front of your own fans um, and obviously there's been a, there's been difficulties away from home this season for Liverpool we know that but when they've spread now into home results as well, which is what we saw with the Leeds game, well, that is a worry no two ways about it. Can I, can I just can ask I, you, Gareth, about the, you're saying that the, something wasn't quite right in the crowd. Is, is this the first time in, I guess, almost in Klopp's reign that there, you have these rumblings? I just think, um, you know, you, you've, got, you've got to be sensible about it and say, the reason there's great expectations for this side is what Klopp's done with the side, with the club. Um, and, and look, people don't want to see that fall away. And, you know, you, you dip you dip your toe into social media world at, at the moment and, you know, there's all kinds of kickoffs on there, all kinds of arguments. People having a go at each other about the owners, about the manager, about certain players and all that, that, that type of thing. And it, it's because, you know, everyone expected... Liverpool to go again, to be up there again, to be challenging for the title. And so to be out of the title race so soon, it's not even Christmas, it's not even bonfire night. Um, You know, of course, that's going to lead to frustrations. Equally, though, I would say these things can be turned around very quickly. And while Liverpool are now not contenders for the title, there's plenty to play for. You know, we go tonight in the Champions League. Um, I think the odds for the Champions League are very interesting if you look at them because Liverpool are still rated by the bookies, if you like. And I think that says something about Liverpool's track record in this competition and also the quality in the squad. You know, with a little bit more luck around injuries, if we can get, you know, the best side out on the pitch more often than not and, and certainly have them ready for Champions League nights, then who knows where it goes. And I think the bookies' odds, you know, recognise that fact, whereas equally... You know, you look at the odds for the title and Liverpool are now way out of it, and rightly so. We referenced this earlier in the show, Gareth. Um, you know, 12 Premier League games, Liverpool have conceded the first goal in eight of those, and on four of those occasions, that was within the first uh, quarter of an hour. Um, like, it's almost becoming too common now to not be a trend. And, and you, 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 like, uh, what does it say? Is, is it psychology? Is it just that they cannot start the game 
quick, quicker that because the, the team, as you said, that that we've come to know with Liverpool winning trophies was a team that started games on the front foot, the team that brought the game to the opposition, and uh, it seems like that's not the case anymore with these slow starts. Yeah, and, and and look, it all builds up, doesn't it? And, and every time it happens again, I think it almost leads to the possibility of it happen once more. If you know what I mean. So what I mean by that is, every time it happens, it, it gives potential opposi- opposition in the future a boost. They look at that and they say, "Listen, get into them early, have a fast start, go at them." They don't like it that way. Equally, Liverpool are probably looking at it saying, "We need to keep it tight early, lads. No mistakes and all that kind of thing." That that's got a psychological impact as well. And I think those two things. Clash together there's un- there is definitely a bit of fragility there at the moment there's no two ways about that it's far too easy to get through Liverpool's midfield and then mistakes have, cre- have crept in at the back as well and look if I'm being perfectly honest with you if it wasn't for the form of Alisson this season so far we could be staring at a much worse situation so it I'm I'm constantly trying to find positives in it because that's the way I try and be about as as a fan and the fact that I'm got you know I'm going tonight I'm going to the match tonight I want to see something good I want to see a good Liverpool result and you, look even in that Leeds game I, I heard the piece that was on before me about Nunes and you know Nunes in the Leeds game for me should score two goals he has two brilliant opportunities both times if he if he added in him to dink the keeper he scored a goal. Uh, instead he goes a bit percentage both times well one time he tries to take it round and keep it the other time he goes percentage and and, and Liverpool haven't got a goal so it, it's got to be a situation for me of Liverpool taking the chances they've still got players in the side you can do that and I think we're going to have to cop for the fact that for the time being sides can get through Liverpool we're not we're not going to see a Liverpool side setting any records defensively this season so that then puts more pressure on the lads up front but unfortunately as Klopp referenced in his press conference there isn't the opportunity to, to rotate there really currently so we're getting all these games coming thick and fast but there's not too much you can do with it because Jot is out because other players are out you know and, and, and it seems never ending the, the injury situation and obviously that is why people are talking about the owners and the fact that you know we've not strengthened really, um, or not strengthened enough now for some time. You've got Diaz out as well, so the, the, the task is difficult, and the task keeps sort of rolling into each other. So you know, the more you play the same players, that they're becoming more tired. Then you're asking them to go again in another game because there's no other options. They, they haven't got the intensity that you used to see them from Liverpool. They got outrun again at the weekend by Leeds, not for the first time this season. And again, that's an odd thing to see. Like Liverpool always worked harder a team than the opposition, and now the opposition are working harder than Liverpool. And again, that's got to be a concern. The, the you kind of rushed it there, Gareth. The schedule is so utterly insane that um, you know, I, you got to ma- for obviously the players. You got to have massive sympathy for the coaching staff here because, like, what are you supposed to do? And like. Liverpool, to me, it wasn't a massive surprise that they couldn't build on the Man City win because, like, they put so much into that, obviously. And, like, that was a game that, you know, they weren't expected to win, really. Um, but then you're straight back in, and, like, you open up the paper today, it's like Champions League is back on again tonight, like, three days later. And this is a team that already looks tired. 
Yeah, 100%. And look, you could see it, couldn't you, against Manchester City that they were flying into tackles, that they were determined to show what they were about and that they were bang up for it. But when they tried to go again, you know, a few nights on against West Ham, it was a bit more of a slog. And, you know, we were all coming out of that ground that Wednesday night saying, oh, well, we'll just take the win. Three points is three points. All of those kind of comments were coming out about the match rather than the actual performance. So to then see a sluggish performance on the Saturday early kickoff, and it was like the Saturday was like early kickoff as well. Like it's it's like and it's it's almost like how do you lift yourself again physically and mentally? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and as I say, you know, you look at sort of Liverpool's roster and the players that could be coming in and doing something but aren't available. It's not helping them whatsoever. You know, there's, there's no Naby Keita. Chamberlain didn't look look anywhere near it when he come on against Nottingham Forest. You know. And, and these things keep piling up. You got Fabinho looks absolutely rackered. He looks like a different player. You know, players are just drifting past them. You know, he, he was one of the best players in his position in the world for me. Mm-hmm. But right now, he doesn't look anywhere near that. And, and now you see him sort of he's griping at people on the pitch. He's griping at the manager. He's griping at fans as well. It's clearly getting to him. And on the one hand, you can say, well, at least he cares. But on the other hand, you're like, well, you're not you're not concentrating on the job at hand if you if you're letting the inner chimp escape if you like, and you're starting raging at the manager and the the crowd and all this. Just crack on with winning tackles, crack on with closing space down like you were always so good at. Because at the moment, the chinks are light in Liverpool's midfield. Well, 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 they aren't chinks; they're huge. And and play like I said before, you know, teams are just playing through Liverpool, and it's putting too much onus on the on the lads at the back to keep to keep them out. You've mentioned, Gareth, already that the owners and the recruitment um, and even just reading James Pearson, The Athletic, talking about Fenway Sports Group over-reliance on Klopp's ability to balance the books and even Jamie Carragher talking on, on um, Twitter, I think it was, at the weekend where he said, it is plan A or no one in terms of players coming in. That's exactly what Pep Linder says in his book. That's been a mistake. So, like, have there been errors made where they don't go for the plan B option uh, often enough that the recruitment hasn't been what maybe it, it needs to be maybe the injuries have highlighted that to, to, to a degree but clearly something is awry with, with the recruitment yeah I mean you know it, it does seem that they've sort of <coughs> spun the wheel uh, one, one time too many here now and, and you know there's too many players on the wrong side of 30 that are knocking around in that squad as well so you know to keep asking them to go again go again go again you know if they're 18, 19, 20 and they've got the quality that you need well you might they might be able to do that but when they're in the 30s it, you know it, it, it's a different ball game and I think that's what we're seeing and you know it did seem that even during the window um, you know they changed their minds didn't they because you know they're going for they're going for players at the start of the window not getting those players seemingly giving up and saying okay we'll leave it and then at the very end panic and getting Artur on loan who had a questionable injury record and now he's injured um, so you know that that doesn't look like great forward planning all round and you know I think everyone's got to take some responsibility 100% the owners 100% the, the, the owners should be putting more money in back on the manager being realistic about you know the game they are in as much as possible and I think sometimes they are overly conservative but you know equally maybe this time around you know Klopp's being a little bit too loyal to some of his great servants you know there are all the cliches in Liverpool's past about letting players grow old on other, other clubs books and things like that and look 
look, you know, Milner's come in, done a great job against Manchester City and deservedly took plaudits for that. But you can't ask him to play three games in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, Henderson doesn't look capable of playing that amount of football at the moment either. Fabinho's looking gassed as well. And then you've got, you know, Keita and Chamberlain who are, who are very rarely available. Um, so, you know, and then you're reliant on, on younger lads. And this is what I mean about all the issues rolling into each other. You know, all of a sudden Curtis Jones was called from nowhere to play against Nottingham Forest after the ear infection for Thiago. And he didn't re- he didn't look ready to go to me. And then and then all of a sudden he's taking pelters now from fans for not playing well. That seems to have affected his confidence. And then he he couldn't do the basics in in the game the other night. So you know all of these things, these issues. I think you said before you've got to have some sympathy for the coaching team right now. I would totally agree with that because. All, all the talk about you know transfers and money and all that, that's great. And, and, and hopefully Liverpool listen or the owners listen and do something about it in January. Yeah, d- d- just, I think that that needs to be said as well, Shane, in the sense of it's very possible, if not probable, that Klopp's Liverpool managerial career will end in failure in the sense of the end of it, even though it's been amazingly successful. But you need to... You need to understand that it's completely irrational what these players are being asked to do at the moment. Like four games in a week and a half at the levels and the intensity that you're asked to be playing. And fair enough, he should have younger legs. But, you know, as Gareth says, there have been a lot of extenuating circumstances there. You've got to, you know, sometimes you have to divorce yourself when you're watching these games twice a week, three times a week and say, this is not natural. And like, they shouldn't really be asked to be doing this in the first place. And that's exacerbating the issues that Klopp has, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing, Gareth. Is that like the players are frustrated as well because <clears throat> I think there was a moment on on Saturday night where uh, I think maybe Harvey Elliott made a slight mistake and the crowd got on his back and then Fabinho was kind of gesturing towards the crowd to to get off his back uh, and and those are things you just didn't see with with and then you have Klopp as well who's kind of tetchy in press conferences, understandably because he's not getting the results that he feels the team deserve. But when you're seeing moments like that, chinks in the armor, as you say, like. It, it's concerning, but it, but it's clearly something that is fact, affecting the players as well. Yeah, hundred percent, and it will do, won't it? I mean, you know, especially when they've experienced what they've experienced and done what they've done. I'm sure if you were, you know, having a conversation with them in the summer, you know, all the conversations would have been about challenging for the title. Um, I, you know, you did get the sense, I would say, certainly towards the end of the window, that both the manager and some of the players were a, were, were a little bit concerned about about squad depth and things like that. But, but much of it's much of it it's random as well, isn't it? In terms of when the injuries come, who they come to, um, and this is the this is the second season in recent times where where it's been the case that Liverpool seem really up against it in terms of having personnel who are available, and then and then of course that leads to conversations about well what are the medical staff doing and what are the physios doing and all you know is it but ultimately a, a club is is all of these people, isn't it? Including the owners. They've got to all come together, take some responsibility for this current situation and bash it out. Come up with a strategy that gets Liverpool out of here and back where they should be. And look, I I totally understand the way it's dealt with in the media. I do sometimes have a little cry about the media. Some of it I don't like, but equally I understand that a club the size of Liverpool starting the way they have this season and it's the worst start to a season since Klopp's taken over at Liverpool then of course people are going to write and talk about that. But every time they do, it makes the situation slightly worse and it, and it feels like the pressure, you know, the walls are closing in even more. I mean, you know, you, you look at tonight's game, in a different circumstance, we'd all be saying, well, it's a dead rubber. You know, Liverpool have qualified, Napoli have qualified, we'll crack on. 
because of the situation we're in and because of the recent defeats and things like that, you know, Klopp said it's not a game for rotation. Now, why is he saying that? Well, I think he's saying that because he wants to, he wants a win for morale, for morale of the supporters, for, for his own morale, for morale of the players. He, want, he wants some kind of result tonight in that game, which is a dead rubber, but he, want, he wants a positive because another defeat only adds to all this and it adds to the pressure and then maybe once again you're seeing players who, who seemingly can't pass to each other and making daft mistakes that you don't often see from professional footballers Yeah I think as a Liverpool have to maybe win by, by more than four goals tonight to claim an unlikely top spot in the group so as you say it's pretty much a dead rubber but like when you look at Napoli Napoli are coming off the back of a 4-0 win against Sassuolo in Serie A on, at the weekend and they're brimming with confidence. I know. I think they've given back some of their contingent of tickets for, for the games, and the fans recognise that it's a dead rubber. But they're, they're going to come to Liverpool, Gareth, with with every intent of causing further headaches for Jurgen Klopp. So you, you'd wonder, in terms of rotation, I know Ibrahim Akanate has sat on the bench, for example, the last couple of games, and, and he's back from injury. So, like, maybe do we see him tonight, or will it be much in, in in terms of change of personnel? I think certainly Canate. I think I think the managers look like he's been itching to play him. Um, there was a bit of a giveaway comment in one of his press conferences the other week where he said the medical staff are telling me he can't play a full game. Um, that that sort of sounded like to me that he wanted him to play a full game and is being told internally no. Um, so he did say yeah he was likely to start. I think he he's going to step in for Joe Gomez. You would have thought who whose confidence does look a little bit shot and obviously culminated in in the mistake at the weekend. So I imagine he drops out. Canate comes in. Um, there's talk as well of, of Ramsey finally being available as well. Obviously, he's been injured uh, since his signing, made some um, appearances at you know reserve level, as I still call it, because I'm old. Um, but he could make a, a senior start. I, I, I quite fancy him to come on as a sub, maybe depending on where the game's gone, rather than starting. But as Klopp said, and as I said before, there's not too much opportunity for rotation simply because there's not there's not many players available mm-hmm. that you would be dropping in. Um, you know, there's not too much up front, obviously, because we've got two attackers, main attackers injured. And then we've sold Minamino, we've sold Origi, you know, so, so all of these sorts of understudies that you may, you may have called on in this situation, they're no longer there either. So, you know, I think, I, I think it's, it, it's going to be very close to the sides that have got the recent results, you know, save for one or two. It's funny, like a lot of there's been a lot of talk, Gareth, about formation and whether it's four two three one or as we saw at the weekend for at times as well the four four two with the diamond. You can talk about formation till the cows come home, but if but if players aren't doing their jobs, then it's irrelevant. And and, and like you saw the defending for the for the Somerville winner and and some of the Liverpool defenders almost like statues like maybe they were surprised by how bad Bamford's touch was in the lead up but uh, there's just moments like that where, where you're thinking Jesus the, the, the fight and you mentioned you referenced already the the running uh, the fact that Leeds ran so much further than Liverpool and even we were speaking earlier in the show about the fact that you know at times Leeds were trying to get you know Marsh was throwing the ball to his players trying to get the ball back on the pitch as fast as possible which is unheard of for an away team at Anfield to, to try and you know who's looking for a winner because they feel like it's there but all those little things add up and, and, and there's just concerns but like a lot of focus on formation but at the end of the day it comes down to effort yeah effort and, and I would say form as well um, because you know one thing Liverpool have been able to do you know even in recent times is the, you've, you've been so sure that you're going to get seven out of ten or more from certain players 
and we've not been getting it from them. I mean, you know, to be talking about Virgil van Dijk as a man who's quite regularly made mistakes this season seems absolutely bananas when you compare it to, you know, what we've had out of him since he signed for Liverpool. But that that is the reality. He hasn't been playing well. Then you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's been so central to what Liverpool I've done over the last few years. You know, you've seen him rested and brought it, brought out of the team and things like that. Again, that is that's unheard of. It's Robertson now for me is starting to come back to to the form we know and love from him, which is a huge positive for Liverpool. But you know, again, we've sort of missed the real Robertson, and, and it seems like a lot of them all at once have had a huge drop off. I mentioned Fabinho before as well. You know, you take Sadio Mane out of the team as well. You put Darwin Nunes in, and you know it feels like he's finding his feet, and his teammates are finding his feet. You know, in in terms of how he deals with how you deal with him around him, you know, the the piece before mentioned, didn't it? Sort of, you know, some of the runs and stuff he seems to get in other people's way at times, and I think that's totally understandable. I wouldn't put that down to you know a problem, a fault on his side. It's more. He's new to the side, still, he's still relatively new, he causes problems, but, you know, Liverpool don't look like, it's not systematic anymore from Liverpool, it's not that machine-like, you know, performance from them, you know, four wins out of 12, you think about, um, you know, when, when they started the season, when they went on to win the league, like, they were, they were unbelievable, and they just blew everyone away, and it was all done by Christmas, mm-hmm. or just after, um, you know, this time around, it's the complete opposite, but like as I said before, it's a strange season as well, isn't it? We've got this, you know, all these fixtures pushed in before December the twelfth. We end that we end that run with the Southampton game at home. Then we've got the World Cup. Then we've got a transfer window where the owners can show, you know, we can still go out and buy someone hopefully. And then it's sort of well, we all have a look again, don't we? Because where's everyone going to be then? It's hard to say what injuries will happen at the at the World Cup. Who, you know what, what form will players be in? There's still a huge chance for Liverpool to to do something with this season. Um, you know, there's no doubt about that. But 100, percent there's work to be done psychologically, getting players fit, getting players bought, getting some players out as well. I, I think is probably key. I mean, we keep talking about the owners, but we know that they like to balance the books. We know that they don't like a bloated squad. I think we've got to get some players going out the other way now as well. Gareth, great stuff as always. Thanks a million and enjoy the match tonight. Gareth Roberts there. Of course, Liverpool-based football journalist at his time on this Tuesday morning at 8.41am for the Sports Pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be... No, I'm not... Yes. No. He did say good morning as well. It's kind of like an imposition when sometimes it's like, what's that line where yeah. the guy goes up to the, he's having a bet in America at the races and the lady says back, you have a good day, sir. And he's like, I've made other plans. <laughs> I think Gareth has made other plans yeah. this morning. Good morning was an assumption on my behalf. Good morning to Cahill Milani, though. Morning, lads. How's it going? Keeping well. I'll quickly run through these, uh, these back pages here. I've still got it. Klopp insists his hunger as strong as ever. Uh, United look to tie down Rashford United will secure Marcus Rashford's future at Old Trafford before the end of the year to fend off interest uh, from rival clubs so he's entered the final eight months of his £200,000 starting a week contract and United will either offer him new terms or trigger the one year option on his current deal otherwise he will be able to open talks formally with foreign clubs from the 1st of January Farrell beefs up squad for November tests Ireland have broadened their options uh, ahead of the start of the Autumn International Series 12 more players added to Andy Farrell's squad yesterday so 49 in camp <coughs> 
out of the uh, the games this weekend the A game against the All Blacks 15 and then of course the Springboks on Saturday <coughs> and then uh, Brilliant Clifford is a level above but must beware Curse of the Gong that's an interesting piece in the Irish Daily Mail on the uh, how players who've won the Footballer of the Year over the years tend to struggle uh, for the year or two thereafter um, something tells me David Clifford won't struggle you see his uh, gathering on the ground point the uh, other day Jesus Christ scandalous yeah he what was, are you going to do I mean, that was the East Kerry's Kerry Championship win over Mid Kerry at the weekend and I think he's, he was he scored nine points if I'm not if I'm not mistaken and he was involved in one thirteen of the one sixteen in terms of like winning frees and getting what did he assists. do for the rest of the game exactly what was he at yeah. there's three points that he wasn't thinking involved. about his award exactly uh, Jesus uh, what a player uh, end of days Klopp don't judge my cop flops until the season is finished I doubt Klopp himself called them flops but uh, yeah that's the, the back of the Irish Daily Star Sanchez I'd love to dump Spurs that was the reference we made earlier to all the uh, the Marseille players with, with links to Arsenal how much they'd love to knock Tottenham out of the Champions League tonight uh, Racing's Ironman Kevin Manning brings Curtin down in 40 year career uh, lovely photograph there with him I, me- I meant to reference that it's the back of the independent here as well it's a, a lovely photo as well um, of a a jockey in action on soft ground like he first came across Jim Bulger in 1982 the year that I was born like that's 40 years that's ago old he is. that's 40 years ago he's been in the game so he's 55 now I, it's kind of one of these things that we generally didn't ask Kevin Manning what age he was out of respect um, <laughs> I remember writing an article before when I was working for the Irish Independent saying that uh, Jim Bulger was going to say that uh, Ronan Whelan is his successor when he retires Kevin Manning was quite annoyed at me because he thought that I implied that his retirement was nigh that must be like that must be five, six years ago. So he's he's gone a long time. Amazing career of longevity and had to starve himself really to, to do the weight for 40 years. So yeah. I hope he's a good steak meal now tonight and enjoys his retirement. Fair play. Enjoy the retirement, Kevin. There's a great photo of him uh, after riding poetic flair to victory at Ascot last year in the back of the star. Uh, Ukraine want Iran out. Ukraine have appealed to FIFA to kick Iran out of the World Cup. Iran has been accused of supplying weapons to Russia in their ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Several nations also unhappy with Iran for allegedly breaking FIFA statutes on human rights and discrimination amid riots and protests where's the World Cup again <laughs> yeah exactly England uh, kicking off their World Cup campaign of course against Iran on the 21st of November back of the Irish Daily Mirror judging us now unfair Klopp end of the season is the time to give verdicts on successes and failures uh, Sanchez I'm going to enjoy beating you that game Marseille against Spurs in Group D kicks off at 8 o'clock and again uh, Kevin on his retirement 40 years in the saddle Kev calls it a day back page of the Irish Sun boot them out Ukraine demand finalists be axed Iran World Cup row you've got Ant ban his agony Spurs boss indispensable that's uh, ref- referencing um, Antonio Conte touchline ban for tonight's game against Marseille the number two Christian Stellini uh, is the man who will step into the, the limelight Pog Cat KO WC blows pile up I see Neil O'Reardon has a team of the year as well I'm many the Rovers in that I wonder yeah we'll, t- we'll tell you now uh, might as well have a quick look at it because uh, Rovers and Derry dominance probably we've referenced it yes you've got Aidan Keena of Sligo Rovers um, Rory Gaffney Dylan Watts Shamrock Rovers Will Patching Derry City Gary O'Neill Shamrock Rovers Adam O'Reilly St Pats Joe Redmond St Pats Mark Connolly Dundalk Derry Monaghan Man uh, Cameron Dummigan Derry City Alan Manis Shamrock Rovers and Andy Lyons Shamrock Rovers have done that arseways and the backwards way but Mark uh, Connolly's a very very good player they had one, popular, yeah. Yeah. one two three four five five Rovers players in that team. one Sligo Rovers man who's 
I think could definitely leave or certainly has been linked with Aidan Keane has yeah. been a revelation that you had to hold on to him AJ not right for Fury Anthony Joshua admits he was not mentally fit to fight Tyson Fury in their proposed clash on December 3rd uh, I think on the front page as well there is indeed a sporting story on the front page of the, the Irish Mirror Tyson US ban over Kinahan link boxer Tyson Fury and his brother Tommy have admitted they are banned from the US over the heavyweights links to Irish mob boss Daniel Kinahan uh, the Irish Times and I've butchered this now and I'm going to struggle to get the, the back of the Irish Times in fact the front of it uh, there it is So you've I was reading the Indo the other day and I was like do you remember the Indo used to be a broadsheet I know forget it was the exact same exactly, you have to yeah, try to yeah. manage it like. uh, Creel and Dale they poised to take centre stage against Ireland uh, so delayed Springboks expected to name team today so <clears throat> we'll of course chat to uh, Alan Quinlan about all of that on the show uh, plenty of other bits there Casey back to do what he does best for an appearing um, and a bit more uh, uh, Horner backs for Stappen over Red Bull Sky Sports boycott. So Max Verstappen hasn't been talking to Sky in the last couple of days because comments made by um, uh, one of their reporters, it was Ted Kravitz, in fact, made the, those comments that uh, Verstappen didn't really like, talking about the, the nature of Verstappen's title win last year. Uh, Dublin Marathon organisers unveil entry details for 2023. Congrats to all who, who ran it on Sunday, and fair play to you. Uh, not an easy thing to do. Eagles remain undefeated with big win over Pittsburgh Steelers. Philadelphia Eagles beating the Steelers 35-13 7-0 now they are in the, the NFL so I want to start the season for them should, just should reference this as well Shane the back of the independent there is um, exclusive extracts from the book on the Dooley greats from Offaly um, so always nice to get a feel for a book if you want to buy it. Um, some great stuff about being uh, in a Thai prison there which uh, um, might whet your appetite absolutely uh, so the back page of the Guardian uh, penultimately is uncertain future Hampton dropped by England over attitude at team camps Hannah Hampton a member of England's victorious Euro 2022 squad has been dropped by Serena Vigeman because of her behaviour and attitude at the team's camps she's 21 year old Aston Villa goalkeeper not called up by Vigeman since the Euros where she deputised alongside Eddie Roebuck for Mary Earps and is unlikely to be selected again under this England manager so interesting story there from the England camp Klopp admits no quick fix to rough period for Liverpool You've got a rugby story there. Farrell and May back in squad for battle with Pumas for England. And Papua New Guinea thrash Wales to set up England clash. Uh, and then finally, the back page of the Times as well. May rushes back for England. Farrell also fit to face Argentina at Twickenham. But Courtney Laws is ruled out. Uh, Red Bull lifts Sky boycott. They've confirmed they'll bring their boycott of Sky to an end for the next Formula 1 race in Brazil a week on Sunday. And uh, Carlos Kimry request Wales. The Wales football team could change their name to Kimru after the World Cup. The Welsh name, of course, for the country. Already used by the Football Association of Wales in its internal and external communications. Uh, but they're planning after the World Cup to change the name. Noah Mooney, in fact, is the, uh, the chief executive of the Football Association of Wales. Uh, Cal, before we, we get into the, the morning's sports headlines, we have to pay tribute to, to Seamus Power. We haven't touched on him um, on the show this morning, but I was watching, I was watching the action in Bermuda on, on Sunday as he, as he uh, not cruised home, but like two shots ahead heading into, heading into the last, mm. one by a shot in the end, but uh, supremely impressive. Yeah, fantastic and great for him to... I think he's up to 32nd in the world now as well, which is very significant. And he's going to be in the Masters again next year as well, and he can plan a schedule now. But it was great to get over the line. Uh, the big story of the day was probably the... Um, it's probably a harsh word, but implosion of uh, Ben Griffin, mm. who... Nah, it was an implosion. Go for it. Well, yeah, I know, but we've all been you there where things yeah. are going <laughs> against you and uh, and things then start going against you. But uh, he started brilliantly and he was in control, it seems, um, and then just fell apart in the back nine, really. But 
to be fair, the conditions were really, really tough. And even Seamus Power with a shot into the last, he'd only, I think, 86 yards, little flick of a, a little wedge and, and managed to spin it back off the green. So he was lucky that he had the shots in hand and he could uh, take three from the bottom of the green and, and win by a shot. But Ben Griffin, yeah, it just it started going against him. He'd a run of bogeys, I think, four in a row, five in a row, and then a double bogey in there as well. And uh, really disappointing for him. But for Seamus Power, I mean, it's such a significant win. I think it's um, back-to-back wins for Irish players in the PGA Tour after yeah. McIlroy won the CJ Cup the week before. And Power really will hopefully be on the Ryder Cup team next year now. Um, he spoke to Luke Donald, who was at that tournament during the week, and he's certainly in Luke Donald's plans. He said that he mentioned to him about the tournament where GB and I will play a continental mm. Europe team in the early part of next year, and that Power now, because he has certainty around his schedule, can try and make time for that tournament if he's uh, going to be selected. And you know, wouldn't it be great to see Power, Shane Lowry and Rory McIlroy on a Ryder Cup team in Italy next year? And it's such a brilliant story for Seamus Power because he probably hasn't gone the traditional route in that he isn't someone that broke onto the tour at a young age. When you see the age profile of so many of the players now on the PGA Tour in their early 20s, uh, Power is the wrong side of 30, but he's you know, developed into such a solid player and uh, 32 in the world says it all right now so he should be in contention for all the majors next year and you know probably the, the next step for him is to win a, a big tournament on the PGA Tour or perhaps even start contending in the majors so it's onwards and upwards uh, for him and obviously if he could make the Ryder Cup that would be a, a crowning achievement and underline just how far he's come in the game Love his like his backstory is, is quite incredible as well like his mum passed away from cancer when he was just 8 years of age and his dad Ned uh, you know, working a second job at Boston Scientific to, to kind of pay for himself and his older twin brother's sporting endeavours. Um, and clearly, like even there's sliding doors moments when you read, like he went to East Tennessee State University on a, on a scholarship. I think he offers a course from, from Irish universities as well, but his, uh, Rory McIlroy, I think, was offered that East Tennessee State scholarship and had um, said yes, essentially, uh, in all but, but uh, in writing, essentially, but um, had to pull out and then power takes the that's nice. the slot yeah. and just like even their stories from his one of his coaches I think where he like powers ambidextrous so he can he can yeah. he can hit the ball what 300 yards with his right hand left hand yeah. which is just if you've ever played at golf to any that's level not fair, like, Shane that's Walsh not fair. I mean that's yeah. ridiculous <laughs> yeah. there was even a story from his former coach where he talked about uh, one time at that driving range when he first came over to Tennessee like power asked him to, to lob the ball to him and one handed whacks the, the ball right-handed like down the fairway 150-200 yards and then does the exact same thing one-handed in the air volley uh, left-handed like that's so if you had to take like shots with alternate hands he'd be the best in the world probably well like, like you're, you play golf Cal so like that must be very useful to be able to because you know you see sometimes you say there's a tree blocking you if you're a right-hander but then you can, if you can turn around and hit it left-handed then I assume I'll speculating can. here now I think but. yeah but it, you see the clubs he'd have will be right-handed that's, sorry that's, <laughs> the, that's the thing yeah. unless he's thought ahead and thought right I might bring a, a you know a nine iron left-handed with me that'd be a bad way to think though that you're going to need it yeah true you know? sorry you can't do that but yeah you're right though that that does happen but they'd have to turn the club that's a fair point the other way around yeah. kind of, uh, but I did see him with a left-handed club on the practice ground right and it's like it looks like he's a left-handed player. Things of Elizabeth Cotton now, who like she was a guitarist over a hundred years ago in the states, but uh, um, she learned from her brother's guitar, and she was left-handed, so she just turned the guitar upside down, and that's how she played. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how. And it's like Ronnie O'Sullivan in the snooker. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. extremely talented. Was it against Ali and Robbie? Do where oh, Robbie do is like, why are you taking with your left hand? And yeah. he's like, well, I'm still better with my left hand than you are with your right. Yeah, and he couldn't, really, he couldn't, couldn't come back from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, just ripped them apart. So. 
Seamus Power, Ronnie O'Sullivan on a par in terms of sporting yep. dominance. Uh, what else is happening this morning, Cal? Well, you mentioned the Champions League. Just to recap those fixtures tonight, Spurs need a draw to advance to the last 16. They take on Marseille in the south of France from eight. Liverpool against Napoli also at the same time. Both of those teams through from Group A. Paul Pogba set to miss the World Cup for France. He needs further time to recover from a knee problem. He's undergone surgery yet to play for Juventus uh, this season. The South African team for their meeting with Ireland on Saturday expected to be named today the first of the Autumn Nation Series matches. Ireland A take on the, an all-black selection this week as well at the RDS on Friday evening. Uh, jockey Mark Zara said he felt like crying after winning the iconic Melbourne Cup overnight. He was on board Gold Trip. The six-year-old stallion was at odds of 18-1 to 1 and took victory there. But the event at the Flemington Racecourse was threatened earlier in the day after a black oily substance was poured onto the track and police are investigating that uh incident. Kevin Manning has called time in his career as a jockey. We mentioned that there in the papers. He announced his decision after guiding vocal studies to victory at Galway. Taya Titicle is the new women's golf world number one. The Thai becomes the 16th different player to reach the top of the rankings. She's just 19 years of age. And England currently in action at the T20 Cricket World Cup and we'll get you a later score on their match because this is a must-win game for England against New Zealand. Uh, England currently 100 for the loss of one wicket after 12 overs. They won the toss and elected to bat first and of course England lost to Ireland uh, earlier in the campaign and Ireland suffered a 42 run defeat to Australia yesterday Cal Milani, great stuff as always thanks, thanks that's Cal Milani there with all your, your sports headlines as per usual on OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio for you today 1 o'clock OTB Gold Ronnie Delaney of course remembering that gold medal in the 1956 Melbourne Olympic Games no doubt 3 o'clock we've got Dadcast at 4pm it's a career retrospective with the former Irish international striker and Premier League star Stephen Elliott uh, 6pm OTB Gold Jerry Eisenberg fantastic conversation on Muhammad Ali you can of course follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the very best in the latest sports content up next Alan Quinn will be on the line as the countdown begins to Ireland's opening Autumn Nation series game against South Africa that's this Saturday at the Viva Stadium OTB AM two minutes to nine on this Tuesday morning on OTB AM and delighted to say Alan Quinlan is on the line with myself and Johnny morning Quinny Morning, lads. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. We might uh, before we get to looking ahead to the uh, first game of the Autumn International Series this uh, Saturday against the South Africans. We might um, put a put an underlining mark on the URC uh, action at the weekend. And Monster, uh, we, we referenced them earlier, myself and Johnny. But um, look, a one point defeat. I guess you have to consider the fact that there was up to twenty players out injured for Monster. So the Ulster game, although it's a loss, um, comes with an asterisk maybe in some regards. Yeah, it, is, it does. I think, um, obviously, um, you know, I said last week it was a must win for Munster. That was pretty um, self-explanatory. They've lost, they've now lost five out of seven games, which is um, a terrible start. And I think, look, there's positives probably against Ulster, the Leinster game. Obviously, the Bulls game was a, a really good win for them. But the other performances were really poor. Dragons, Connacht, um, in particular, um even the second half against Zebra. So they've, they've started really slow um, and they've put themselves in a really tough position. I think, uh, you know, the, the players away, you've mentioned it. I think um, they've struggled to cope without them and they've they've just had a lot of bad luck. You know, even after the Leinster game, um, John Klein, Thomas Ahern, two, two, two of their starting second rows that day, both gone. 
So they were kind of down to the bare bones, really. And they're they're coming up against an Ulster side who are in a good position, uh, full of confidence. Um, I suppose they, obviously, they had illness in South Africa the week before, which would have not helped their situation. But I mean, from a playing point of view, they've been playing very well this year. They had a brilliant win the week before in South Africa. And, uh, you know, just... Uh, they got there in the end. I think Ulster were pretty dominant in the first half. The three, the two mall tries, I think, and the other James Hume one came off a mall as well when, when they got close to the line. So, uh, yeah, a lot of problems for Munster at the moment, but there is some positives as regards the young players getting exposed, um, the way they're playing, the way they're trying to play. I think they're, they're second in the most offloads in the URC, which is no, um, I think for Graham Rowntree, that isn't something that will please him and say, "God, we're we're you know, it's a table. They're fourteenth in the league table, and that's that's where they sit at the moment." And um, between one thing and another, I think they've had their issues around you know adapting the new coaches, getting up to speed, but they've been very hampered by the emerging Ireland international call-ups and a number of injuries and it's been a, a dreadful start for them really I, I was asking about the crowd last week um, Cunny. I, I, I thought it, it was striking how much they were behind them in the second half and is it a sense that you mentioned the offloads and they're, they're playing some nice rugby as well so is it a case of like they know that they're trying to buy into a transition here yeah, well, very in very simple terms, Johnny. The um, you know the monster of old would be slowing the game down. Mm. Um, you know, trying to kick, kick, box, kick the ball. People realise where they're at. You know, if all the players, like I mentioned, Klein and 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 Thomas Ahern, if both those second rows are available, I'm not saying Ulster won't score from them all with the two tries they did, but they're in a much stronger position mm. of stopping it. Um, so look I think the crowd realised that um, you know there's going to be a bit of pain here and I think they can stay with him and I've always said this if there's a bit of fight and maybe it's a bit condescending and a bit um, it's obviously disappointing that that's where we're at now and you know I spoke about maybe the problems in previous years and uh, the previous regime and where this has all come to but look uh, all the kind of dirty laundry is out now and I think they need to get better in the fitness department the medical department lots of areas the way they train uh, the type of profile of players that they're bringing through and and advance that, that all those things in a better place and you know once they're a big brand but they're not winning matches and they're not winning trophies so I think the supporters were very very vocal and got behind them at the weekend and they will do I think rugby people understand that in Munster that you know, it's a reality now. Munster are, are well off the pace, but the positives are the way they're trying to play and the younger players that are coming through. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's what people want. They want to see that fight. And it is a period now that, you know, you can either get behind the team or not. It's hard to be critical of what Munster did the other night. I, I know you can go through the game and you can see mistakes and knock-ons and certain things. Um and but I think there is positive signs into what they're trying to do and even for the, the you know the try they scored in the second half Shea Daly's try I think um, a real positive moment Jack Crowley gets the conversion they're ahead incredibly but you know Ulster would have had penalties down at the other end to win the game but I think to, to fight back from the position they were in was, was positive and um, 
they're in a tough position and I think the the worry now and everybody's saying it to me is is European rugby next year mm, mm. you know they they may be in the Challenge Cup um, just for anyone who, who slept or, or partied I guess through the weekend the, the results involving Irish provinces Friday night Scarlet's 5 Leinster 35 the game we're, we're speaking about Munster 14 Ulster 15 on Saturday and then Ospreys 19 Connacht 22 was also a result from Saturday like you mentioned the second row issues there Quinny like when you look at the the, the lineup at the weekend it's probably the seventh and eight choices for second row you, you mentioned John Klein you mentioned Thomas Ahern you also have Ty Byrne Snayman uh, Finian Witcherly uh, Paddy Kelly unavailable um, and when you look then at the at the dominance Ulster had at the line out perhaps it's it's no surprise No it's not and and that's that's why I think people you know they, they, they there was kind of a worry and a fear and it was the same going into the, the Leinster game I think somebody said to me recently when the day Munster kind of get a bit of luck with get every, getting everybody out in the fields, I think that will be exciting to see if they can get a few games with their full strength side, their internationals back. Um, maybe we'll see it after November and we will see it hopefully, um, you know, obviously you'll see more players back for the European run in December. But with the injuries, I think, you know, if you look at Snyman, what's happened, um, you know, you're probably not going to see him till post-Christmas now. But, it is what it is. They just have to get on with it, and and um, that's it. It's it's sometimes when you're kind of down, the last thing you need is another injury, and that's what ha- what's happened to them. But you know, it's it's you're kind of shaking out uh, who's available to you and who's coming through. And I think the big big positive in the second row, an academy graduate, he's still in the academy. He's only 19. Edwin Adogbo. Um, it's phenomenal the experience he's getting. And uh, Saturday night again, he showed how good he can be and where he can go. Um, Evan O'Connell was on the bench, Paul O'Connell's nephew. He didn't get on, but he's only 18. Uh, Ruan Quinn uh, came on against Leinster, made his debut against uh, a few weeks previously. He's only 19 now. So a lot of really good players coming through, but I think there's certain areas they need more. They need some centres. They need you know front row cover. Um, but... Uh, Look, there's some positives, and I think if they get everyone back, but the season is kind of running away from you know when you five losses in the first seven, it's very difficult. Look, look at Connacht's situation; mm. they've turned they've turned it right around. I think uh, their performance at the weekend um, against the Ospreys, a lot of mistakes, a lot of errors, I think inaccuracies, but that cohesion and that kind of togetherness that you want to win away games is starting to come. I think they had a brilliant performance against the Scarlets. They blew them away the week before in Galway. Um, and then to go to the Ospreys and, and get the win. A win they should be getting. You know, the Ospreys are missing their Welsh players. Um, Connacht are not as badly hit for obvious reasons. They don't have as many guys gone. Um, a little bit of cohesion there. But they've they've strung together a few results. And the pitcher is totally different than it was um, with them losing their first three games. So... Monster have to find a little run like that somewhere along the way, but it's just going to get harder and harder. And um, they've they can hope to get players back, but Connacht are in a better position now, and that'll be uh, you know on the twenty sixth of November. It's a good few weeks away. We've got the internationals first, but Connacht and Munster will be a, a humdinger down in Tomlin Park. Ulster deserve credit, though, don't they? Like that, that TMO in the first half would Definitely. have possibly put them out of sight, and was kind of a small handle error from the scrum after. But like the, the you, you know, the context of there, they didn't have a great prep at all going into this match in terms of the players no, that were out, no. and as you mentioned, and still managed to find a way. Yeah, and they have a number of players with Ireland as well. So it isn't just Munster who were affected. Um, I think it's the injuries on top of the internationals away 
that's the problem for Munster ulcer of injuries as well and uh, guys away with Ireland but you know yourself Johnny in sport confidence that it'll uh, you know you often think that bounce of the ball that bit of luck we call it you kind of create that and it comes with a togetherness and a, a feel good factor work rate all that kind of stuff and ulcer you know have played a lot of good, brilliant rugby this year um, they're very very dangerous I think uh, you know a lot of kind of seasoned uh, players that they, they they had available to them the weekend Rory Scannell Rory Sutherland coming off the bench you know he's a British and Irish line he's a great signing for them From they picked him up from Worcester you know Vermeulen was very powerful Sam Carter Alan O'Connor in the second row Jordy Murphy couple of big moments with a try and a turnover as well someone who'll try and claw his way back into you know into the international setup he's had a tough couple of years so um, Nathan Doak obviously the couple of kicks the conversions Ulster could have been further ahead but you sense at the end of the game from Dan McFarland that you know delighted with the results the first time in eight years they've won in Thomond Park but frustrated and I can understand his frustration with you know they didn't play um, for you know, and he show any sort of ambition in Thoman Park in the second half of that game, and they did the same last year when they lost when the game Zebo got sent off in last year. So um, happy to get out of there, but frustrated. But they deserve credit because you know you have to get wins and pick up wins on the road, and that's that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Um, you mentioned some of the positive shoots for Munster and, and Edwin Odogbo being one of them and look, maybe he wouldn't have got so much game time under different management um, <clears throat> Jack Crowley uh, is another one Quinny that I wanted to touch on as well because I guess before the Emerging Ireland Tour a lot of the talk was on Kieran Frawley picks up the injury and then Crowley takes the opportunity on the Emerging Ireland Tour with, with both hands um, and Graham Rowntree spoke about him very warmly after the match you know talking about him as a, as a leader he said look at Jack Crowley at the end of the game he's still navigating us around the field you'd nearly forget looking at him Quinny that he's only 22 but there are leadership qualities there with him for sure Yeah very very much so and I think that's that's another big positive for, for Munster um, in, a, in a situation where it's hard to, to kind of find those positives and really focus on them that's um but he's a positive for irish rugby i think um there's obviously been so much talk for years about who's going to be the successor who's going to close that gap in johnny sexton and and joey carberry and uh you know kieran frawley now and jack crowley are two that that are kind of pushing themselves up the ranks and um you know crowley has a big future ahead of him i think he was brilliant for ireland when he played in the under-20s and the success he had and the confidence, I think probably stifled a little bit in the last year or two. Um, I think Munster probably focused a bit more on Ben Healy because of his kicking game and the type of game that Johan van Graan was trying to play. But, you know, he's a very athletic player, Jack Crowley, and he's a physical player as well. So, you know, we've got to see more of him. Um, he needs to get more game time. and um, But it's a very exciting opportunity for him. And I think... You know, he may may be involved and pr- probably will be involved in the A game on Friday night against the New Zealand selection. So um, all that's good stuff for him. And when he's involved in an Irish squad, he's up there this week training with them, seeing how Sexton does it, how the other players do it, how Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringwas, these guys, you know, go about their training week. So he'll be learning all the time from that. You mentioned Munster's position uh, and, and look, looking ahead, I guess they look, really desperately want to get those US, URC playoff spots and get to the Champions Cup. 12th at the minute. Um, but having said that, they're only five points behind Cardiff, who are sixth. 
Uh, but then, if you, I mentioned that the, the run of fixtures coming up earlier in the show, eleven games remaining. Like they still have to play Leinster again. They have to go to Belfast, uh, double header in South Africa. That's four difficult games. The remainder of the games nowhere near as difficult. You'd have to say, but it's going to be touch and go, Quinny, isn't it? Whether they, whether they can get that that uh, the playoff spot. Yeah, very much so. Like you lose, I think they lost seven in total last year. Um, and to, they barely got into the playoffs. Then they lost that quarter final against Ulster. So, um, yeah, there's no, there's very little wriggle room left. And I think, you know, you have to, the next game is Connacht. Then they've got Edinburgh away um, the 2nd of December. And then you've got European games and then Leinster in Thorman Park um, they haven't won against them in the league the last time was 2018 so it's four years ago but um, you imagine the Connacht game be huge in, in the sense Quinny, like they're is, going in yeah, against a yeah, confident yeah, team and but it's used for Connacht as well mm. Johnny you know Connacht are not going to go down to Thorman Park um, they're going to be in, in you know it's after the November internationals I don't think Munster will have the internationals available Bundyaki will probably be available because he'll he'll only be back Available the, the previous week, he'll have very little rugby played, so he'll be playing. Um, it'll be very difficult for Munster. It'll be a very strong Connacht side that'll go down, go down there. Um, it just depends who's back. You know, Thomas Ahern is out for a long time now. John uh, Klein, will he be back? Will they have Anton Frisch, Conway, Keith Earls, these guys back? Um, who knows? But um, then they've got Leinster Christmas and then away to Ulster and uh, then they've got the Lions at home and then they have a run of a couple of games when they head into the Six Nations where they've home games and they've games that you think they'll win but it's the last two it's the Stormers and the Lions are, um, Stormers and the, the Sharks away I think in South Africa the last two games um, I think they've got to try and get up right up that table before they head to South Africa and then you're saying well, if we pick up one of those games in those two weeks, have all our internationals available, maybe an opportunity to, to one of those games to get you into a playoff spot. But look, it's a long way away. I think if they've got to focus on the here and now, and um, it's it's probably too far away looking at that. But they've, I think the games they look back on, and I said this from the start, um, they could have won that game in Cardiff at the start. Uh, Deserve, probably Cardiff deserved that win but it was there for the taking they made a lot of mistakes the Dragons you know the the, the Connacht game they're ones they look back at with real frustration not necessarily you know with being disrespectful to those teams but the way they played in those games um, was really disappointing and you know just look at Leinster on uh, on Friday night with all their players away um, Scarlet's have been dreadful to be fair this season but you know, uh, very much a second string Leinster team go over there and they, they win 35-5. That's the, the standard and that's where um, the other Irish provinces are trying to get to close that gap with Leinster. But they're they're incredibly dominant at the moment and um, looks like they're unearthing, you know, Chris Crosgove playing full back on, on Friday night was, was really good and got a brilliant try as well. There is a great element to that that I because we we're just saying, saying before the show like the the, the fact that you're you necessarily have to play these second string teams on the on the night obviously it's an issue but it's great going forward for the development of these players as well like it is yeah and look so, some of the Leinster players will argue we're not second string you know Max mm. Deegan Scott Penny Reese Ruddock but they are on paper because you know Van der Fleer Conan 
and Doris are your first choice back row, but they're really, really good backup players. You know, Ruddock is an international. Deegan has played for Ireland. Then you've got Jason Jenkins, Ross Maloney. Um, so, you know, the, the front row is obviously different with Thomas Clark and McKee and Ed Byrne, but that's a very strong forward pack, Johnny, going over to Scarlets, who have been, you know, really, really poor and porous this year. But, um, you know, you look at the back line, Liam Turner, uh, Rob Russell and Chris Cosgrove, those three, they're, they're new players, essentially, even though, you know, Rob Russell played a fair bit last season, got plenty of games. Um, but it's it's a development and it's experience and it's the confidence to be able to go to. And it's, it's just a seamless transition mm. when those players come through. They're so well coached. And I think they have been for a long, long time now, and that's that's the benefit of 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 um, um, Stuart Lancaster and and what he's done, and the other coaches in Leinster. There, it, there's a there's a there's a template there that players just seamlessly transition to into, and their their skill execution is just is a, is really really impressive. And um, I think look. The, what they're able to do when all their internationals is away is what makes them so strong and, and they've so much depth in that squad I know Reese Ruddock and, and Ross Byrne came in for um, praise from, from Leo Cullen after that match and rightly so and as you said loads of loads of young talent coming off the bench for Leinster which um, doesn't bode well for the other provinces as they try to keep up with, with what Leinster are doing just before we, we, we move to Ireland Quinny just to, to, to touch again on, on, on Connacht and that 22-19 win over the Ospreys so that leaves them two points off the top eight uh, just looking at the standings uh, they came away with the four match points and considering they were 12-0 down um, a very good result uh, just after just 10 minutes as well so the tries from Alex Wood and Quill and Blade and John Porch and then 7 points off the boot from Jack Carty as well Like interesting that Andy Friend after the match um, not full of praise whatsoever Quinny like he was saying we, we lacked the clinical bits that we wanted there was a lot of fight um, but certainly wasn't putting any polish on, on the performance and, and probably leaves something something left there for the, for the Connacht players to think about yeah, I think they, Dave's. Um, he he wasn't. He said. He, I think Andy Friend is very very honest in his appraisal, um, without being insulting to his players. Um, and they left a lot of opportunities there. I think mm. they were in the, you know, on the twenty two six times in the first twenty five minutes, and they came away with nothing, um, or twenty minutes. I think um, they obviously had a poor start, conceding the two tries, being twelve nil down away from home, but they were. They were controlled and they kind of changed gears and the, their aggression and work rate and attitude um, is very, very good. But I think it's just been ex- their execution. I think, and if, you know, they had Ulster opportunities against Leinster, sorry, a couple of weeks ago in, in dreadful conditions in Galway. And they had a lot of entries into the, the Leinster 22 and it's very difficult to break Leinster down. They're a very strong defensive side as well. Um, but, they just come up with mistakes and errors and maybe it's a little bit of panic at times and lacking a little bit of power sometimes but I just think against the Ospreys the other day um, they should have actually even though it's a great win on the road they should have actually got a bonus point win Mm. they made it difficult for themselves with the start and then at the end they're kind of hanging on a little bit there's only three points in it Um, but um, still getting the results and sometimes not playing well, I think they'll only get better. And uh, but you know, in a similar situation for for them, I think they're going to be busting a gut to try and get into the playoff position and get into Europe um, uh, this year as well. But um, 
it's early season, but they've kind of turned things around a little bit. Um, still got a lot of hard games to go, obviously. And, and the league is so much more competitive this year. There's no easy games, even when the internationals kind of... And the way that the league is positioned now, you know, you don't have um, games next this weekend, obviously, when the internationals are on. So you have opportunities for to try and get strong teams out. And I think with the South Africans in it as well, they've obviously made it way more competitive and a better better um, spectacle for everyone how would you call Munster Connacht then oh, it just depends who's available Johnny mm-hmm. for Connacht I think um, I think you know Munster I, I think it'll be difficult really difficult because like I said you'll have a Bundyaki coming back you'll have um, a Connacht team that um, you know they've Finley Bealham away at the moment uh, Dave Heffernan with the Irish side um, Kean Prendergast uh you know, will they start? Will they be playing against Australia the week before? It's unlikely. So they'll probably go straight into the team. So it, it could very well be a full-strength Connacht side as opposed to a Munster side who will be down probably, you know, possibly O'Mahony and, and Ty Byrne and um, will Joey Carberry, Connor Murray. You, you just don't know what kind of teams they'll have. But I think Connor, Connacht will be in a better position going into that game and really believe they can go and win there if, um, and, and obviously I don't think things are, things are going to get much better on the second row front in the next few weeks for, 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 for Munster so you'd have to say if you were choosing someone to win that game now you'd probably be saying Connacht are in a better position Quinny all roads lead to Lansdowne Road this Saturday half past five Ireland against South Africa so the number one ranked team in the world against the world champions um, I know the South Africans landed in Dublin and they are on Irish soil now they had a five hour delay on their flight from Dubai to Dublin uh, of course there's European based players as well that, that made their own way and I think Cheslin Colby was the last to arrive um, after playing the top 14 um, so much riding on this Like, is there an element of I guess shadow boxing given that, that we're in the same World Cup group or is that just so far away that, that that's not even in the, in the ether just yet I, I don't yeah it's, it's a tough one that's a really good question like does it really make a difference who wins this game and you know does it give you that edge going into the pool stages of the World Cup next year well I think possibly I think you'd still prefer to win the game and have that little uh, that better position but um, in 2017 we beat the, the, the Springboks 38-3 in Dublin and everybody you know was lambasting them and rightly so on the day I think and obviously things changed very quickly then for them Rassi Erasmus Jack Nienemar, um left Munster went back to South Africa and turned things around and they went and won a World Cup Um less than two years after so um, maybe it's a, a plan again to come and play Ireland here before the World Cup next year we'll beat them by 30 points again and they'll go and win the World Cup next year again I don't know but look um, I don't think that that'll be part of uh, Rassi Erasmus Jack Nienemar's remit to, to, to lose to Ireland they'll want to win here I think they'll want to go into the World Cup in and continue um, the strength and power that they've shown and, and the performances that they've shown us in the last couple of years since they won that World Cup I think they're incredibly powerful they're, they're, they do the basics so well and they have some star X, X-Factor players who can just 
uh, come up with pieces of brilliance and win them games. Um, they're pragmatic in their approach, but that works for them. And you know, they've so much physical power. So it's a uh, it's going to be a real test for Ireland, a real physical test. Um, and obviously, the last time Ireland played was in Wellington in, in in July, and off that historic series win. So it'll be interesting to see how Ireland do, and they'll want to get momentum again um, and build momentum. I think. There's a lot said about what happened in 2018, being number one side of the world. This, you know, after the November series in 2018, um, getting so many plaudits, team of the year, player of the year, coach of the year, all that kind of stuff, and it unraveled then when it went into, you know, the Six Nations and in January and February 2019 when England were the first side to kind of break down that Ireland team and find chinks in their armour. Um, I think we want to see, and Andy Farrell has said this about developing players and, and really kind of develop, not just the 23 players, but kind of the development after that. We mentioned Crowley there and and and, and Kieran Frawley. Um, certain other areas, you don't want to lose players. I think you want to um, get more depth and have them all on the same page. So it's a very tough task for Ireland on Saturday, but it's an intriguing one. And... Um, you just don't know with South Africa sometimes and they've shown it a little bit this year one of their performances in the rugby championship was really poor in in Australia and obviously New Zealand beat them as well in in, um, in Johannesburg as well but um, when they're on song they're, they're incredibly physical and powerful and hard to stop so it's a, it's a great game to look forward to I'm really intrigued to see how Ireland do and can they cope with that physical power and can they match us? Um, we'll wait and see. And of course, the the box will name their match day twenty three today, as as usual. They they name it nice and early in the week. Um, like if you're Rassie Erasmus or Jack Nina Nina Burr, uh, Quinny, and hopefully neither are watching this. But like, what what areas of the the Irish team are you targeting this Saturday? Um, I, I'm not sure they target. Uh, Individuals, but I think that physically and collectively they'll believe that their forward pack can get dominance. So, you know, it's it's the players they can bring off the bench and that real power element to their game is hard to stop for anybody, and they can overpower you. So I think their their mall is an area where they'll feel that, but they feel this against anyone that they can attack them and they can go after them. They did that in the summer against Wales. They they maul very effectively against them and so I think they'll go after Ireland's defensive maul and they'll try and take them on there um, that's not going to be a surprise or a shock to Paul O'Connell or to John Fogarty in, in forwards coaches for Ireland um, you know dare I say it, they'll try and you know be physical with Johnny Sexton um, I think if you're playing against Ireland you get a, get after Sexton and try and put pressure on him not give him time on the ball because he makes things happen for Ireland and for Leinster when he plays. Um, so I, I think Ireland are a very balanced side at the moment. And when they analyse what Ireland did in, in New Zealand, like, you know, the results, are, it's a results-driven business really at international rugby, I think. Um, but the performances of Ireland that, that tour, at times when they had the ball, the attack... The cohesion, um, the the balance of of where they were able to control things was was incredibly impressive. 
And, you know, this is a great test for them because they're going to get a very aggressive side who are a very physical side. And, in, and you know, as part of development and trying getting right for a World Cup next year, it'll be good for them. But It, it is it is uh, good in that sense. That, like, if you say, some people will say that the, the, the soft against New Zealand like, might have been a shade flatter or you don't read too much into it. This tells us, like, a lot more, I guess. It does, yeah. And, and, and their collisions and their physicality is, it's so, it's, it's, it's very obvious what's going to happen, but I think it's very unfair to kind of label South Africa just a direct team who kick the ball and who who overpower you and win the collisions and they kick penalties and stuff. They they have some brilliant talents as well. Uh, Lucanu Am is I don't think he's going he's not involved, but he's a wonderful centre. Dialende, um, he's incredibly skillful. Um, you know, Colby is back in in the mix as well, and and. They've incredible options out in the back line as well. So when they want to attack and they score brilliant tries, they're, they're very good at it as well. But they play to their strengths a lot, and that's going to be a real test for Ireland. But Ireland are a possession-based side, Johnny, and they hold on to the ball really well. And Which what they've you got want. to get that. Yeah, they've got to get that source of possession line out in scrum as well. So um, you know, it should be. It's a good test, exactly what you want. Um, November 2017 will tell us don't read too much into it because you know it's it it doesn't really matter what will really really matter next year is 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 what happens in that pool pool stage of the World Cup but these are really important games for them as well for both sides. Look at scrum half Quinny. Um, like it's a bit of a problem area heading into the, this November series. You, you got Jamison Gibson Park, but he's not played for Ireland this season. Um, he's been the first choice of course over the last year and a half or so. Uh, Craig Casey has probably edged it in terms of form ahead of Conor Murray and, and Casey's had his own injury problems of late like are we looking at a case of G- Gibson Park of course if he, if he if he's available he plays but then is Conor Murray I mean is he third string or is he a, is he a squad player is he there for as a cheerleader and as someone for experience or what's his place in the team now do you think I don't I'm not I, I think he still has a huge amount to offer um the way Ireland want to play and the way their attack has improved in the last couple of years, Gibson Parks helped that because he's very, he's very, uh, you know, quick in what he does. Um, I think he still comes up with an error or two here and there, but he's been brilliant for Ireland. Um, Craig Casey's development has accelerated and he's improved a lot, and that's been in around the squad, been confident in himself, and his ability is is very impressive. Um, he does come up maybe some of that decision making at times um, he comes up with an error or two himself I think Conor Murray at this stage still offers a lot I think he offers you that solidity that physical presence um, really good kicking game as well when needed um, and obviously he's delivery he's, there's nothing wrong with Conor Murray's pass I just think sometimes it's the speed of um of getting it away from the base to the breakdown that half a second uh, and that's something he can really focus on on that and I'm sure the Irish coaches will have worked on that with him um, but I think he still has a lot to offer Conor Murray is a, a, an absolute a fantastic player he has been for a very long time and it's a case of whether you pick if Gibson Park starts do you put Craig Casey on the bench to kind of give you that zip and energy and real kind of enthusiasm or do you bring Conor Murray on to see out the game and be like an extra wing forward who makes those tackles, who gets turnovers uh, um, from 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 breakdown turnovers? 
I just want to see an edge on Conor Murray. And I think he has, the, he's a, an incredible character. He's an incredible leader. And you'd love to see a little bit of a narky edge to him in the next couple of weeks that he wants to play and that he shows it. And that I'm sure he, I'm sure he does, but I'd love to see a big performance or two out of him as well to, to really kind of push, push it back on Craig Casey, who's been chomping at the bit a little bit for him. But it just depends on what the coaches are seeing in training as well. I think some people can jump and say, well, I, I hate writing players off and ending their careers and saying, you know, well done, thanks for the, the memories. Um, we saw a dip in Sexton a couple of years ago and we've seen an incredible resurgence. I think there's a bit of a resurgence in Conor Murray, who's who's probably suffered from playing in a you know that pragmatic approach with Munster in the last couple of years as well. Quinny, great stuff as always this morning. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Alan Quinlan there, of course, as he is usually with us. Uh, just before we, we wrap, Johnny, we, we don't have much time in this at all, but uh, news in the papers of, of Vinnie Perth being linked to the... I know you were at the Galway game at the weekend against Longford in the playoffs, but uh, Vinnie Perth being linked with the position... Um, so Gary Cronin has left the position personal circumstances being quoted uh, finished fourth in the league lost to Galway in the, the playoffs at the weekend as I said um, Ian Morris and Keith Long other names being, being linked but uh, what's, what's your take on, on this as a potential next move for Vinnie Perth to Longford? Um, I, I could see this happen actually because Vinnie's been out of the game obviously since he uh, left the Dundalk job his CV is very good um, and but there aren't there aren't that many jobs available, you know. And I don't know, um, I don't know if Vinny in the running for the Bowes job or not. But you know, they went with Declan Devine, which I was surprised at. But there really aren't that many jobs available. He's he's um, you know. He's a great connection with Longford Town. I think that that's very important, and it would be a good fit for a club that is probably facing a somewhat uncertain future in terms of funding and in terms of making the club viable because Longford's a very, very small town. It's hard to get much support out. It's hard to fund a club like that. They have the benefit of having relatively... uh, you know, short access to Dublin players, so the Dublin players come over. Gary Cronin, um, I, I don't know what he's citing as, as as personal reasons. I think my understanding from Gary was that he wants to go full time management. He's very well regarded in the game. Uh, Longford played lovely football, but it's tough, and it's tough having a job and trying to you know um, manage the books. But I could definitely see Vinny getting that job, and I think it would be an intriguing aspect to the League of Ireland where he to go back there. Johnny, great stuff as always. Thanks, Thanks a million. Uh, I've gotten a lot of slagging about um, conflating uh, the Ren, the 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 Ren Day and St Bridget's Day, but um, uh, you know it's it's the first of November and it's been a long weekend. It's early. It's dark. It's it's all the rest. It it's, is. It's bank holiday Tuesday. It is. We'll leave you off. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Johnny. Uh, OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. We're going to have you the crappy quiz for you in just a second, which you can watch the highlights of from Friday. A surprise winner. Stay tuned to see who that is. Uh, out to be um, back tomorrow, Wednesday morning, with myself and Johnny again. Shelburne's Alex Kavanagh will join us following their successful title defence in the Women's National League. We'll, of course, have reactions to tonight's Champions League games. Liverpool taking on Napoli and a big one for Spurs against Marseille. We'll react both of those in action, plus plenty more besides. Enjoy and we'll chat to you tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.